The following is brought to you in association with and from a proud partner of the Shining Wizards Network. Entertainment here. You're listening to Pure Rock Radio. Feed your addiction. This episode is brought to you by the Bleeding Old Blood Club with this important message. The Bleeding Old Blood Club believes life doesn't end at 40. Live life. Take that trip. Learn that skill. Get in the pit. Learn to skate or get back on your skateboard. Shred it up once again. Check us out on Facebook, the Bleeding Old Blood Club. You can teach an old dog new tricks. Welcome to Radioactive Metal. This is Radioactive Metal, your source for news, views, tunes, and interviews. Here are your hosts, Snowy, Rock, Corrine, and Aaron. What's up, everyone? Welcome to uh, Crank It Up, Scotty, episode of Radioactive Metal. This is episode 624, and I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. I wasn't ready for that. That was good. That was good. All right. So, dear listeners, this episode, like every episode for the past however many episodes, I feel like it's been two solid years easy of True Cult Coffee, T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T-Coffee.com, sponsoring this show. We love the people at True Cult Coffee. Like, you know, th- these these aren't just like some corporation. These are real metalheads like you and me who love coffee. They make coffee, and we actually have a relationship with these guys. We talk to them. You know, they do cool stuff. Um, Mr. Coffee Bean Oculta not only is doing great coffee, he started Embodiment Printing Press. So if you need short-run, like, pint glasses, shirts, face masks, whatever, hit him up, man. He is one talented dude. He is, he's an inspiration, really. Like, it's, he's one of the few people that, like, if I'm tracking something at 10 o'clock at night in the studio and I say, hey, what do you think of this? He'll answer me. And then the next morning at 5 when I get up for my walk, I'm like, 
I'll be like, hey, have you thought about? And he's, he responds like he's up all the time working. He's just like a crazy workaholic. And that's why True Cult Coffee is so good. So T-R-V-E-K-V-L-T-Coffee.com. Subscribe today so you not only never run out of coffee, but you'll get not one, but two handpicked, curated, wonderful metal albums every month with your coffee. TrueCultCoffee.com. That time I threw the horns, no grapefruits. <laughs> That's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Horns, grapefruits. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, things are going pretty good here this weekend as we speak. Last night, okay, you you know Ninja Cat Jess, good friend of the show. I've worked with her at Ninja Cat Productions and all that. Really good friend of mine. Her dad, Donnie, it was his birthday last night. Yeah. So we kind of piled into his place and we broke out the booze and got the fire pit going and all that and had a wonderful time. So before we get on with everything, I just wanted to say hello and happy birthday to my good friend Donnie. Hopefully you had a great day. And of course, this Donnie is the cool one. There's no relation to the dumbass Donnie that we're going to be talking about a little while later. (laughs) I'm sure. But you know what? I'm stoked. I'm really stoked for this episode because we're always looking for that unique guest. You know, like band interviews are great, uh, but I'm always looking for people that do things within the metal world, like kind of, but are kind of outside the box, that color outside the lines. And I think we've got that with this episode. Dude, I agree. I am so stoked to introduce our our creature feature today, and we'll keep you guys on the edge of your seat a little bit longer, um, because it, this, man, this is one of the most fun interviews I have done in a long time, and probably one of the most inspiring interviews I have done since uh, Mike Watt. Like, I, ah. I, don't, I don't know if you remember, I interviewed Mike Watt a couple times for Iron City Rocks. Mm-hmm. And dude, his interviews, I would just keep the audio file on my desktop and listen to it like when I was just struggling with like practicing or songwriting or whatever. Cause just that man just has so many things to say creatively. And with today's guest, um, he's another person who's like, holy crap, you are an insanely monster musician. So, um, yeah, but we'll get to that here in a little bit. Right on, right on. Yeah, I've got a fresh cup of true cobalt coffee here in my Judas Priest British Steel mug, so let's get on with it. We've been very busy this week. Here's our metal fix. Hey, dude, what's going on? All right, man. Well, my big metal fix really is our creature feature. So I'm going to hold off on talking about that. But um, I'm going to start by telling you that I watched Ginger Snaps last week. <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, I believe I did. We mention it on the air. Uh, yeah. So I think great question. Yeah. I can't remember if we did or not. Oh, OK. Well, we had a conversation last weekend about horror films because um, it's getting t- to the month of October. So, um, yeah, that's obviously a big uh, part of my life. So that kind of spurred the conversation between us. And you brought up werewolves. Yeah, I will watch anything and everything werewolf have to. Right, right. And yeah. so I recommended there is this delightful 
Canadian werewolf movie, and it comes well recommended called called Ginger Snaps. What did you think? So I am going to tell you that, like outside of the effects, it's really a fantastic film, and it's almost the Godzilla of werewolf films, and I mean like the original Godzilla. Yeah, mm-hmm. Right. So like if you think about the original Godzilla and the message that it was getting across, like, oh, uh-huh. that same thing, because I remember you said something about like, um, you know, little Snowy studying this is in like school and for gender studies and things. And it's a very interesting narrative on being a woman, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, it's, it, and just the whole two goth girls, like the death obsession the, the photographs they're taking were fantastic, but but then just, you know, the the 180 the older sister does with her sexuality and, you know, like that those are all just a very interesting commentary and especially like the way society reacts to that sort of thing, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I think it was really interesting to do that in the guise of a werewolf flick. You know? Definitely. Yeah, and I mean, like, like the, the werewolf itself, oh, dude, like... I, I struggle with 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 like where, where, werewolves like I think underworld and the um, American werewolf in London are probably two of my favorite on-screen werewolves um but like most of them are just terrible almost every time you know like like the honestly like teen wolf that and, and I mean the teen wolf that MTV did had some pretty decent on-screen worlds kind of like those effects but yeah, like, like, I don't know. Um, but, but I mean, it was, it was a fun film and, um, Catherine Isbell is in it. She's the lead, mm-hmm. right? Yep. She is in that show. I keep raving about the order. Oh, okay. See, I didn't know that. I oh. know it's like, she's got quite the career and all that. Uh, she, she's a hell of an actress, right? And especially like going back and seeing her at 19 doing that role. And then, like, because, because, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly more familiar with the twenty years later, um, Catherine, in, in the order, and she's, she's just such, such a great role that she plays in, you know, in, in the order, and, and you really see the beginning of that actress there in, in Ginger Snaps, like it was really good. Right on, right yeah. on. Yeah, no, I'm familiar with the order. We have it you know, saved on our Netflix. We just haven't got to it now, but I think I'm going to bump it up now that you mentioned that Isabel is in it. Dude, it, it, her role in it is fantastic. And honestly, like being that each episode is like an hour, I think that would kind of help you with your um, Halloween uh, marathon because it's uh-huh. it's definitely horror tinged. I mean, there's werewolves in that. There's magic. It's, you know, spells and all sorts of, it's, it's fun. Like I've I've easily watched both seasons minimum twice now, possibly three times. Right on, it's, right, it's on, so right good. on, so good. And I'm glad you mentioned um, helping me with my horror watching because what we're talking about, if you're a relatively new listener, because you you jumped on board with all of these kick-ass interviews we've had over the last couple of weeks. Um, what I like to do, and it's been a tradition now. Oh, geez. I got to say about 10 years now I've been doing this with um, all all throughout the month of October, watching 31 horror films all leading up to Halloween. I've been doing the horror movie challenge and I'm going to do it again this year. I'm looking forward to it. I'm getting excited. I've actually seen 
a number of films popped up because we have a Roku TV or a smart TV or whatever bullshit and all that. <laughs> it comes it comes with a whole bunch of apps. I don't know. I just, Mrs. Snowy wanted a TV. And so I said, okay, we'll go get you one. She said that one. As it turned out, hey, there's a lot of cool stuff on this. You know, including an app in which you can listen to radioactive metal on your Roku TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you go to the MyTunes app or something like that, you can listen to us on your TV. That's really cool. Anyways, I get all these cool channels, you know, with with the TV. And there's a lot of, you know, just basically Netflix, but all horror films. And I saw, okay, wow, this classic is on this channel. This classic is on this channel. Okay, this is what I'm doing tonight. No. October's coming. <laughs> Save it. Yeah. Save all of these awesome movies, <laughs> well, you know, for the horror movie challenge. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because I have a Roku unit for my TV. And um, I watched Ginger Snaps on Tubi, thanks to you turning me on to that. Yeah, great and, channel. Uh, oh, yeah, fantastic. And it's free, right? Like, I'm like, this is great. Um, but then there's another um, Roku-esque app that I found on there. And I think it's called, like, Horror horror Drive-In Movie or Horror Movie Drive-In, something like that. Um, right. And, um, like, I was I was checking that out. I'm like, because I, I couldn't remember if it was, like, free or what, what it was. So it's a subscription channel, but you can get, like, seven days free. I'm like, well, I'm going to save that for October, mm. you know? Because, like, I mean, there's no way I'm going to do 31, but I will try to watch um, something in October. Like, like I'll commit to at least one. You know? <laughs> Take it easy there. Dude. Whoa. <laughs> I, I, listen, man, between watching um, We Summon the Darkness and Ginger Snaps, I've already, like, uh, doubled my, my, my typical, you know, uh, intake for the year. And I want to say hello and horns up and shout out to our former co-host, is Kareen, who's been getting into the horror films lately. And um, she's 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 been going on Facebook. Oh, I watched this one. That one's disgusting. This this that and another thing. I recommended to her the Necromantic movies. I feel like we've talked about these. Um, yeah, and uh, <laughs> let's just put it this way. Yeah. Probably no female should be watching the necromantic movies. Let's just let's just put it that way. I just wanted to see. I just I just wanted to bait her. I just wanted her to to go and check it out, and then fifteen minutes later get a nasty email or a text or a phone call saying "fuck you, Snowy." That's the worst fucking thing I ever saw. You're such a <laughs> you know. <laughs> but and hey, for anyone who doesn't know Kareen. Um, trust me when I tell you she can handle herself. So she can, yes. <laughs> you know. So like, yeah, I really scraped the bottom of the barrel just to whatever I could chuck at her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is like Kareen is an extraordinary woman, extraordinary woman. Um, so yeah, like this dude, she's gonna kick your ass. That's gonna be pretty funny. It is definitely, definitely. Yeah. All right, so then after Ginger Snaps, my new G-Fan magazine arrived this week. Oh, nice. Dude, it has this awesome Nor Norman Rockwell-esque picture of the actor in the Godzilla suit with the head off being served tea. Like like one of the famous photographs of him, but they basically like like made it look like kind of like a Norman Rockwell. And um, it's, man, I am I am so glad that I have rediscovered my love for Godzilla this year. And that I've been rediscovering 
my love for like the universal monster horror monster kind of stuff this year because mm-hmm. the G fan magazine has just been a blast to read start to start to finish. Um, next year I might try to go to the G the the G con or whatever is is that what they call it G fest con or yeah, as long as there is one. I they they seem pretty pretty confident that they're going to have it next year. You know, I mean, okay. if, if everything keeps moving the way that it moves, I mean, and I think cause especially with the state of Illinois, I feel like it's going to be dependent on the vaccine and whether or not they allow that stuff in. But you know, they're they're still full steam ahead, planning for it. So I it just reading everything about the G Fest. I I feel like it's really going to be a fun monster movie time, like like. Yeah, like it's a really good mm-hmm. time. So, hoping for that. Um, have we talked about monsters are good on the show? You have, yes. Okay, so if for anyone who's you know, it's like, ah, why does it sound familiar? Um, and this kind of ties directly back to the to the G fan Godzilla thing too. But so, monsters are good. Does this amazing um, design of like monsters with like a different twist kind of thing? T shirts. And what they're famous for is taking Wolfman, Dracula, um, Frankenstein's monster, and Gilman, and putting them in the Ramones' Rocket to Russia album cover. Like, they put them in leather jackets, and <laughs> and, and just even the, the logo, I'm like, that's a really odd-looking Ramones. And then I'm like, is that the creature from the Black Lagoon? <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, shit, I have to have it. And the first time I saw it, it was Scott Ian wearing it. So, like, I had to do some Googling. He was, like, doing, like, a rig rundown for Premier Guitar. I'm like, oh, I've got to find this. This is awesome, right? And mm-hmm. um, and so so not only do they do that, um, when – and I, I almost say when everything started because it's been going on for a long time. But so when, um, when Floyd w- was killed earlier this year, um, he did a special run of pins and shirts for Monsters Against Racism. Oh. And yeah, like it was it was a really good charity run and, and all the proceeds went to to the to the various charities for like legal costs and all that other stuff, which I thought was just awesome, right? Excellent, yeah. But I why I bring it up is there's a shirt that I saw in there that kept um that just kept catching my eye and I'm like, "What? Why is this catching my eye? Like I couldn't place it." And um it, it, it kept saying, like, the Crestwood Monster logo. I'm like, Crestwood Monster? Like, what is that? So I finally Googled it. And when I Googled it, I'm like, oh, holy shit. I'm like, I remember this now. And it's funny because I had the Crestwood Monster Godzilla book. Like, my parents actually bought me a copy. Like, um, like do you remember the Crestwood Monster books? Uh. It'd be like a black and white book, and it would have whatever creature, and then it would take you through all like the movie stuff. I used to check them out of my elementary school library all the time. Like, I check out the Godzilla one all the time, the Dracula one all the time, and I check the Godzilla one out so often. And there was like <laughs> me and another kid that were like literally he'd return it, I get it, I'd return it, he'd get it. Uh, my parents finally just bought me my own <laughs> right because on. it was always being checked out, right? And like that's the back of the like it's it's the logo from the Crestwood Monsters. I'm like, oh, nice, so, nice. yeah. So it, that just took me back. So so I just bought that shirt, and um, I have got to hand it to these guys. I don't know if this is on purpose or a happy accident. I, I feel like it was kind of on purpose, but um, 
the shirt shows up in a jet black plastic package, right? Jet black, like plastic, a plastic envelope. And then the, um, the label on it is bright fluorescent Frankenstein green. Wow. It was the coolest packaging. Like I got it. I'm like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah, so I got that shirt this week, and that's been pretty cool. Um, and I, I know we've talked about this already, right, but like my sh- spam shirt finally showed up, and I just can't stop laughing at it. <laughs> All right. Um, it's the spam with the Sepultura S that just gets me every time. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I, I, and I, I posted pictures on Instagram, and I tagged spam in it. And if, if ever they were going to do something crazy to like try and like get brand awareness. I think they should actually do that. Like, like pick a few of those logos, like, like put the Sepultura spam logo on your cans. I just think that'd be hysterical. Like I, I would, I mean, I'm going to buy it anywhere, but I would absolutely buy it with a Sepultura S. Oh yeah. Just to have, just to sit on my, like on my, my shelf on my desk. I know, dude, I'd probably be sending you a can in the mail. (laughs) I'm like, no, you're going to have one of these. They're great. You know? So it's, it's just hysterical. Now, we here at Radioactive Metal, we have we have a fine history of signing petitions on air. What was the last one we signed? It was for for some Canadian band thing, right? Uh, oh shit! What what the hell was it? Um, or no, or was it was it one of the um, political things? Uh, jeez, yeah. Okay, I I knew it all the way up until you asked. Sorry. Uh, next time I want to ask, <laughs> we'll, we'll just we'll just assume. Yeah, yeah. but. Something music-related. Well, yeah, this this one is definitely music-related, right? So I am going to sign a petition on air to have the Boss Company make a Wazacraft version of the HM2, right? So anyone listening to this show, chances are you know that the Boss HM2 is the cornerstone foundation of the Swedish death metal sound, right? Mm -hmm. Right, or if you ask Snowy, the Canadian death metal sound that the Swedes stole. Right. Uh, I, I didn't want to go there. I didn't want to step <laughs> on your toes. I, I think it's kind of funny because like every time you say that, I think of the um, the dad in my big fat Greek wedding where everything is Greek, no matter what it is, you know, because there's times where I'm like, you know, like, like literally, I bet I could bring up anything and Snowy's going to tell me it's Canadian, you know, <clears throat> but um, anyway, so we've got the Canadian stuff there going on. Um, oh yeah, so the Swedish death metal. So Waza craft for starters. So Waza in Japanese means art and technique. And um, Bost are doing these special Waza craft pedals of very popular pedals, blues drivers, super overdrive, their delay pedals, and just kind of giving them a little something extra. And these have been highly sought after pedals. So one of the Instagram guys, and this is the Boss HM2 Instagram, he is... Um, <clears throat> He, he he started a petition to have Boss make a Waza HM2, which I am all for. So I am signing this right now. I should have had this pre-filled out. This is great radio as I type. Um, and try to remember how to spell my email address. You know, talk amongst yourselves. Yeah. Let's see if I have this spelled right here. I must have done this before here because my address is already in here. So let's see here. That looks good, and I'm about to click sign, and boom, there we go. So let's see here. All right. Oh, 
chip in eleven dollars to get this petition on the agenda. I have no idea what that means, but um, I think I might do might might do that too. We'll see here, because because I I'm I would I, I've been a fan of Boss bringing back the HM2 for a long time. Like the Boss HM2 is my very first effect pedal of any kind, right? And I got it for my bass, not for a guitar. Um, I still have my first one. It's tucked away up in my cupboard. I bought it with my father. You know, I can remember where we were and all that sort of stuff. And I remember my first job at a music store and when the Boss HM2 was discontinued. And so, like, like I would I would love to see a Wazacraft run of this pedal. Even for a short time, I will absolutely buy one. I will absolutely buy one. So I, I have signed that, um, that petition. The petition, thankfully, has really been um, moving fast. Like, there were only, like, 500 signatures. No, like, 300 signatures this morning. 500 the last time I looked, and then, like, 785 by the time I signed. Right? So this is this has all been today. So it's been fantastic. So that that is Radioactive Metal doing our part. We have signed the HM2 petition. And that is my metal fix this week, Snowman. How about well, you? What you got going on? <laughs> myself, myself, I started off this week with what I call a little bit of vinyl therapy. Oh, vinyl therapy. That's important. Yeah, yeah. Which in snowy terminology, that just means I went to the record shop. Like, I have time before going to work. Every once in a while, I like to hit the record shop first, get my day off to a good start, and I think I did pretty good. I grabbed a... And this is definitely a, kind of a contrast in styles, but I picked up a couple a couple vinyl records. One of them was the debut record from All Pigs Must Die, which is kind of like a brutal brutal grind grind death band their first their first record god is war fantastic stuff like that i've had i have um most of the other more recent pigs must die records but um i don't know for some reason or another i just couldn't find the debut in in hard copy anywhere for the longest time and i just i just kind of lucked out so i had to snap it up there and as well i've i had i've had this record on cd for a number of years now but when i saw it for a deep for a pretty good price on vinyl original press all that good stuff van halen 2 no yeah great oh that's cool (laughs) great record yeah 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 and i wonder if billy eilish has that one Who? 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 No, not the who. Van Halen. I I I can't help it, but I I still defend her on that. Like I I still maintain that Van Halen has not stayed relevant enough for somebody her age to know anything about them, whether or not she's in the in the industry. So I still defend Billy for that one. And every it's and it's done wonders for this Eilish girl because it's every once in a while that still. I still see it online. I still like people are still are still talking about it and all that. So, so good, good honor for that. And of course, I take the records home and you know put the headphones on and drop the needle on it. And it's just ah, oh, it just. I know we're probably preaching to the converted with a lot of our old time listeners, you know, that are still enjoy the the good vinyl but dude like nothing beats that like nothing beats you know listen listening to 
a new vinyl record with the headphones on and just shutting the world out, even closing your eyes, you know, because if you, if you like, you, 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 you get rid of your sense of sight, your hearing expands. Yeah. So they say, and like, there have been times I've shown up to work early. Okay. And I share an office with a young lady as well. I'll, I'll show up to work early. I got my headphones on. I'm listening to music on my phone. I'm sitting at my desk. I got my baseball cap over my eyes. And then she walks in and like, are you sleeping? Wake up. Are you okay? Like, what's <laughs> going on here? It's like, no, no, I'm just listening to music. Remember when you were a kid? Okay. And you were laying in bed at night or whatever. And you had your headphones on. Your stereo was right, was, was right beside your bed and all that. Oh, yeah, I did that. Well. It's the same thing. I don't see why I have to deprive myself just because I'm here. <laughs> you know, so I yeah. say you did Nothing a very nice said. job of alliterating um, rock and roll radio by the Ramones there. Do you remember lying in bed <laughs> with the covers put up over right. your head? Oh, shit, I didn't even think that because that line was just such a big part of our lives when yeah. we were kids. Yeah. Like That's why it was written and that's kind of what, what we did and I just... I imagine, dude, the kids today, I'm, I'm going to look into that. I'm going to ask, because all, all of my friends are 20 years younger than I am. I'm going to ask a bunch of them this week, do they actually do that except with their phones? Listen to music in bed or with your phones and all that. I'm going to... That'd gonna, be an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that might, might make for a good um, episode someday. Just a bunch of questions us old-timers ask people from you know, 15 to 30, you know, just see how they go about doing things and all that. I think it might be quite interesting. While I was grabbing, while I was on my way to the record stop, I stopped at my favorite um, newsstand. Shout out to Dominion News here in Winnipeg. Dude, I've been going to this record shop or this 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 magazine rack, this, 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 this stop, okay, since 1985. Wow, I, dude. I want I want to say, you know, on average, it, it, it has to be at least once a week. You know, there are some weeks where I wouldn't go, but then I would make up for it with two trips within the same week. Like since 1985, it has to average at least once a week. I've I I go to the shop to buy all my magazines and all that. That's and it's a just long like time yeah. to do anything once a week. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like this show. <laughs> like once once a week for it's gonna be it's gonna be 14 years is it 14 years this year coming up in october yeah wow holy jeez <laughs> and big shout out to everyone who has been um listening to us I, I i i don't know is there anyone out there okay you know that's been listening since day one since episode one i don't know i think that's quite an achievement Anyone that has, maybe we might have to have them on as a special guest someday. I think that's definitely um, that would definitely yeah. be a worthy worthy. And if, you, if if they have been listening, please hit us up because we have forty two episodes to the big one. Oh yeah, six hundred and sixty six, baby. Yeah. And and that's what I keep thinking. I'm like, you know, this COVID stuff better settle down so we can get together for the big one. Mm-hmm. You know. Oh, wouldn't that be a kicker? 
we're not being able to do what we wanted because of this damn thing. Yeah, like I we we need to make this happen. So for sure, for sure. Well, on my way, I stopped in at Dominion News. I grabbed the latest Thrasher issue of Thrasher. Oh, dude. Yeah. Oh, they're still they're still making Thrasher skateboarder magazine. That that honestly blows my mind because I thought I had seen something where they had like stopped publishing a while back. But I guess I'm imagining that, or maybe they kicked it back up. Who knows? Oh no, it's still it's still up every month. And all that. Um, this week, um, in their music section, yeah. interview with Skeleton, who we played uh, yeah. a, a, a couple episodes ago, uh, ago. So I'm like, okay, you know what? It's worth it. I don't grab every. I don't listen. I don't grab every issue, but th- this one, okay, for five bucks. Like I spent that on coffee today. You know, like come on. Yeah. Like, which that's the amazing thing about Thrasher magazine. It's five bucks. Yeah, still. <laughs> because well, there's there's eight hundred million ads in it. Well, but there are okay. always eight hundred million ads in it. Like, uh huh. There, there's always been, and yeah. for five bucks, I got no problem just turning a page. I don't really have to look at the ad. See how easy that was? I'm flipping my, my notebook here just for emphasis. That's 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 how easy it is. So <laughs> this is where I'm going to be the, the, the oddball here. But Thrasher and Maximum Rock and Roll were two magazines that I would read for the ads. Uh, maximum for sure. For sure. But like, especially like in the late nineties, being in a band, like that's how you figured out how to get your shit out. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's how I figured out how to, how to like, okay, how am I going to get my album out? Where, where am I going to get this made? What do we do? Like, 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 where do we get stickers? Maximum rock and roll has it, you know? And there's all kinds of good stuff like that in Thrasher too. You know, like Thrasher, I mean, Grant, I, I haven't picked up a Thrasher magazine in probably about a decade. Oh, you got to do it, man. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. But, I mean, like, it's always been just still such an indie kind of thing. You know, they, they never really seem to lose their edge like like others have. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, no, no. Especially when they start doing interviews with, you know, and of course, obviously, if anyone's wondering, you know, maybe a European listener, you know, that, doesn't really know what Thrasher is. It, it, it's it's like the Bible of skateboarding magazines, and uh, most of the most of the content is about skaters and skateboarding and all that. But they do have a music section, and sometimes they just get into just like the most brutal underground grindcore stuff and all that. So it I definitely and they've it, always it done that for... too. Oh, like, oh yeah, like. like since the beginning, I, I would look at the music and thrash and be like, what the fuck is this? Like, it was some intense stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I can't remember if I've told you this before, but every time we talk about Thrasher, I always, I always have to say this. But I still have uh, my Thrasher magazine. I, I couldn't tell you where it is. It's somewhere at my parents' house, I think. But with um, Pusshead. And it had Pusshead oh. art. And it was like oh. one of the last interviews he did. <laughs> yes, that is a bucket list interview on this show. I don't know why we haven't had Pusshead on. We will. Well, he doesn't do interviews for starters. Like, that, that's not his thing. 
Oh, okay. Uh, um, but uh, there's got to be some way that we can try to find a way to get to him. Cause it's heck. You know what? Let, let's put that on the list for 666. Uh, okay. Actually, that would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like let's, let's, let's write that down. Let's put that on the list. And that gives us plenty of time to figure that one out. Excellent, excellent. Yeah, and get your butt to the newsstand, man. Grab, grab it, grab the new Thrasher. Dude. I don't know. Do they have like okay where you are? Like, do you have to? Because I know, like, you are not living in a major center right now. Like, yeah. how close are you to Charleston? Um, so I'm probably about like 45 minutes to an hour away from Charleston. Oh, oh, that's out in the sticks, man. Well, oh, yeah, it, it is, but it's still really populated out here, you know. Um, but I mean, I'm like, I'm about an hour from the beach as well. So, but it's funny, like, I honestly can't even think of like newsstands that I've seen around here, like other than like a Barnes and Noble. Oh, okay. That should be there. You know, but, but I right. mean, like I was thinking like, how cool is it that you still have like a legit newsstand that's still operating in your area? Yeah, and it really hasn't, Dominion really hasn't changed much since ni- 1985. Yeah, you, you know, the the amount of magazines have been cut down, but it's still, it's a convenience store as well, and they sell paraphernalia as well, and, you know, it's just, and they have, they have the back room with the magazines and the booths and all that, shall we say? Oh, Devin, oh, oh. It's, slow burn, <laughs> slow burn. Right, right, right. Catching up, it, catching up. Dude, it's definitely an experience. Like just going in there, like so takes wait, so you you've back. Been going to that kind of shop since 1985. <laughs> it, it's still there. Yeah, it's it's still kicking, man. Like it's okay. yeah. Uh, we we need to do an episode where we just talk about the difference in how we grew up. Like, like, like when you talk about me being the sticks now, like this is nowhere near the sticks compared to what I grew up in. Oh, okay. My goodness gracious. Yeah. But anyway, I, I digress. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the new Thrasher magazine. Dominion Dominator, um, Dominatrix. Is that, is that the real name of this place? (laughs) Maybe, maybe, no, that's. The oh 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 club dominatrix here oh that's a whole other story we'll, oh we'll get to <laughs> dude you're killing me yeah 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 we're gonna kill you here with some wicked tunage some awesome records across my desk you know how you know some of the mainstream more mainstream hard rocker bands like you got this guy from this band, this guy from this band, and they collaborate. Like, I think there was Coverdale Page, and there was... Oh, yeah, I remember that, yeah. Who's the one? The, uh, the other one uh, from Sticks, the guy from Sticks, Shaw. Blades and Shaw. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there's... This is actually a thing in amongst the underground as well. Uh, former Radioactive Metal alum... Uh, Paul Speckman, he of uh, Master fame, has just dropped a con- uh, collaboration record with Roga Johansson from Paganizer, just this band called Johansson and Speckman. Their new record, Germs of Circumstance, will be available October 9th from Soul Cellar. And of course, everything, everything that Speckman talks about. Johansson, do they play Mbop? Or yo umbop? 
<laughs> okay, I, I used to like you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't help that one. As soon as you said your hands, I don't even know why that went into my head. Oh, because sorry, you man. like to irritate me. Well, yeah, I do. <laughs> it's it's yes. a hobby. <laughs> yes, yes. The new Johansson Speckman record drops October 9th. And just every, everything that Mr. Speckman touches is just is just gold. Like every, all of his projects and all that. And it's definitely with this new record, we got to get him on the horn again. I remember um, speaking... With uh, speaking with Mr. Speckman, we did a joint interview with Radioactive Metal and Iron City Rocks. We did one together with John, 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 John Caddick. And I had to step away from, from the phone for a couple minutes, and John and Mr. Speckman continued to talk. And Paul asked John. That's not Snowy White from like Thin Lizzy, is it? That we're talking to. <laughs> <laughs> it's like no, no, no. Long story as to why he calls himself that, but but no, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. And it's like that's a f- one of the few times that I've actually been called out over the last fourteen years on my stage name and all. Which you know, maybe on the birthday show, the anniversary show coming up soon. I guess I'll get into the whole whys and wherefores behind a snowy white but yeah october 9th you're going to want to check out that new record courtesy of soul seller and speaking of our old time fans and all that everyone will know huge kitty fan over here well good 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 canadian girls for the most part you know and big big fan of them right right from the start i think like my original co-host way back when he was getting irritated by my kiddiness on the show and all that but hey dude you know, kitty's that's a great kick-ass band and they, yeah fantastic morgan and mercedes are just so freaking professional like i'll never forget my first interview with morgan it, it took several days to, to get it to happen and you know because because you know she kept missing it and her publicist would let me know well it turns out that like their tour bus broke down in the middle of the tour and, you know, like everything that she had to go through to talk to me that day was amazing, let alone everything that she was doing the past three days when we were missing. Mm. And you never know that, hey, that crap happened. It was a fantastic interview. And she even did that fantastic tag. Like, and I, I don't know if you remember, but because um, you hadn't talked to Kitty yet. And I'm like, hey, um, so I got a buddy, this guy, Snowy. He's in Canada. Oh. And, right, um, yes. and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, hey, Snowy, you know, we're in Canada. <laughs> America's hat. You know, That's I was like, yeah, I remember like, that. Yeah. All this crap going on in her life. And she's just so professional in the interview and, you know, had the time to just joke around with us like that. Like, that's that's just awesome. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And her sister, Mercedes, who's normally a drummer for Kitty. Well, she stepped up with the guitar. And the vocals for her new side project or Rock main on. project, depending on. I don't know if Kitty is officially kaput or if they're just inactive and all that. Like they have been busy with the documentary and DVDs and all that. So there is something coming out of the camp. But right now, Mercedes, her side project, The White Swan, just dropped there, um, has a new EP, Nocturnal Transmissions. And I think this is a band, you know, that. I think that you should 
you 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 should check out because like they kind of had like a more uh, an experimental doom kind of sound like there are times where yeah like you can kind of hear a little bit of kiddieisms in there but you can also hear some more underground doomish stuff in there I, I think it's a project that you're really going to dig so that that record came across my desk and they're a good Canadian band because you know like she's the Lander sisters are obviously Canadian but they she enlisted the 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 helping hands of um some good Canadian people for the white swan as well you're going to want to check that out but we're going to check out said Johansson and Speckman record from germs of circumstance this is take the lion's share Yeah. 
don't know if you could call anything because you know they're a relatively new band um classic from all pigs must die but from their debut record that was pulverization great stuff great stuff and of course before that you're gonna want to grab that johansson speckman record october 9th courtesy of soul seller well dude this episode you're doing all the heavy lifting i know man it's been so long and i'm so excited i am so excited to be able to introduce to our listeners this particular creature feature because it's different for us and i think different for a lot of metalheads but i mean i i loved this interview like like i i can't even begin to tell you guys how much i enjoy this interview um but let's start with last october uh there was a theater here in charleston an independent theater and I talked about this as, as part of my metal fix, but I went to see S&M 2 in the theater, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember checking out the set list on um, setlist.fm because I, I wanted to know what songs were there. And I remember seeing one song in particular that really kind of made me un, uneasy. Like I, I really didn't want to hear it. And it was Anesthesia Pulling Teeth, right? So unless you've just discovered metal today... Right, chances are you know Anesthesia Pulling Teeth is the bass solo on Metallica's debut album Kill 'Em All, and you know, performed by Cliff Burton, who passed away in '86. Much um, too soon, yeah, way too soon. And I, I have always loved that performance of it on that album. I, I think just the recording, the sound of it is just amazing. The, the writing in it, it was, was just. I, I, I loved everything about it. Like I, I used to listen to it over and over, just that that particular part. And I do not like when anybody tries to cover it. I remember Newstead. Um, I think it was when I saw them on the Black Album tour. Newstead toyed with like a few notes of it. I'm like, no, no, don't, don't. No, it's not not even funny. Like, like this is sacred. Leave it alone. Don't touch it. Like I don't like to hear other people play it. And so I see Anesthesia pulling teeth on the uh, set list. I'm like, oh, God, no. And and I love Robert Trujillo. Like, if there's somebody who's going to pull it off, I'm like, okay. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a shot because I think Robert Trujillo is one of the great bassists of our time. Like, he's, he's just, you know, an amazing player. And you could have knocked me over with a feather when James introduces a member of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra who is going to come up and perform Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. And it's the principal bassist, Scott Pingle. And mm-hmm. I'm like, I- I'm sorry, what? And I'm picturing, I'm like, okay, this guy's going to play an electric bass. And then he gets up there with an electric upright, and he bows it. And <laughs> I am just jaw to the floor. I'm in a theater. It's like me and five other metalheads. And we're all horns up, cheering. We're like, whoa! <laughs> like we are losing our minds and it is one of one of the most amazing versions I've ever heard of that song. And, you know, and I, and I told you like, I, I do not like cover versions and th- this, I could not think of a better way to pay respect to Cliff Burton because Cliff Burton is a, is a writer has always been very rooted in classical harmonization. You know, like uh, Scott and I talk in the, in the interview about, um, Cliff's fascination with Bach and you really hear that 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 sense of harmony come through in in a lot of the you know especially on 
Ride the Lightning and Master Puppets. That, that's where I feel like Cliff had the biggest influence on the writing. Um, but it, it was just like, wow. And then um, something just was like, I wonder if I could get a hold of Scott. And so I tracked Scott down. I'm like, hey, um, I absolutely loved your version of Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. Would you want to talk? He's like, yeah. And dude, we talked for almost an hour. And it was just fantastic. And I, I'm, I'm going to get into the interview now and we'll talk more about it later because we're going to talk about the S&M 2 because uh, you've had a chance to give it a listen now. But without mm-hmm. further ado, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Radioactive Metal interview with principal bassist for the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, Scott Pingle. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, principal bassist for the San Francisco Symphony, Scott Pingle. Scott, how you doing, man? I'm I'm hanging in there trying to do what I can through all of this just like anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, yeah. yeah, like like the whole climate of the country is a whole nother story. And I am uh, so glad that it started later or we would not be talking today cuz you wouldn't have gotten to do the fantastic performance that we're going to talk about. Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, Scott was a member of the um, San Francisco, well, is a member of the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra, and he performed with Metallica for S&M 2. And that was a concert film. That's where I first saw it uh, back in October, I think. Um, I saw it in, in a movie theater, and it was fantastic then. And it's recently released, you know, on DVD and iTunes and everywhere else and box sets and all that sort of stuff. So... We want to sit down and talk to Scott about that amazing performance because there's something kind of special we'll talk about in a minute. But first, let's talk about you as a player. So how did you get your start playing bass, Scott? Um, through not practicing the cello. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tell me more about that. Well, no, I, I started on cello a little bit as a, as a kid, and, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, I secretly kind of loved it, I, I, but my parents would always make me practice like right after dinner when all my oh. friends in the neighborhood were out riding their big wheels and playing yeah. around in the street. And, uh, and I'm in the front room of our house and, and I'm, I'm trying to practice and I can hear them all running around and screaming and having fun out there. And I'm like, this, this is just not right. <laughs> so <laughs> I kicked and screamed and I said, I hate this. You told me this would be fun. You lied to me, you know, like all this melodrama. And, uh, uh, you know, eventually my parents kind of, backed off and uh they always insisted i played something so i i I started playing trumpet and i played piano you know played various instruments and and um but the because i had played cello before um there was this band down the street that they were starting this garage band when i was about 14 years old and and they're like you didn't you play the cello don't you like you know how to play like read bass clef and stuff and i was like yeah yeah sure and so i got my first electric bass to start playing in this garage band down the street and and we would uh cover tunes of different bands including metallica and uh and that's kind of how i got into it uh and uh, and also my brother was a huge metallica fan and he also was turning me on to various metallica records at the time and so yeah, so in a roundabout way, through not practicing my cello and not becoming a cellist, I got into the bass. Wow, that's killer. Now, yeah. do you remember like what your first electric was? Yeah, it was a Yamaha BB1000S with a neck-through body. Nice. I and, I had a, and I had a PV, 60-watt PV combo amplifier. And I had, uh, yeah, bought both of them used at the local guitar store. Uh, and... Um, 
yeah, that's how I got started. And I uh, I still have that electric bass somewhere. I think it's at, like at my mom's house in Wisconsin. But um, yeah. Oh, that's awesome, man. So how did you make the transition from electric to upright? Because that's, that's a beast, man. Yeah, that's a big that's a big change. Yeah, um, yeah, very different instruments. The uh, it, it was when I was uh, 17 years old, so it was toward the end of high school, and I was you know, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And and um, uh, going back to that garage band I was in, I did that, I, and I loved playing with those guys, and it was I had a lot of fun. But then I got a, got um, work playing with my my sister was a singer, and she was in this band called the Wall of Sound, and they were looking for a bass player. And at that point, I was only like 15. I wasn't even old enough to play in bars, but I looked older than I did. <laughs> and so I started doing that. And, uh, I, and they, you know, I auditioned and whatnot. It was, there's probably a little nepotism involved. But anyway, I got in this band and we covered like Earth, Wind and Fire and Tower of Power and kind of funk horn band stuff. That And, um, and, uh, and I loved doing it. And I, and I was doing a lot of work that way. And so by the time I got to my senior year in high school, I was thinking about what I was going to do because I planned to go to art school, actually. Uh, but I was thinking, you know what, I'm already kind of making money doing the bass thing. I should just pursue that. And then looking into the various universities in Wisconsin where I grew up, like nobody had a degree in electric bass and no. funk bass playing, you know. <laughs> so yeah. so uh, I realized I got to learn that big one. And uh, <laughs> so because I had um, played cello a little bit as a kid, you know, I like I knew how to basically sort of hold the bow. And so I kind of taught myself a little bit and got a couple lessons with someone and then prepared an audition for the university. And, um, and they felt that I was, uh, you know, there was something there. And so they uh, had me come there to the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. And uh, that was when I began my first formal training on the upright bass when I started a freshman year in college. Okay. So, yeah, it was, uh, I was kind of a late starter, but uh, I was also an obsessive practicer, so I was working a lot. Yeah. Wow. So, okay, so I, w- I want to back up here and talk about the, like, the caliber of player you were and kind of dig into that. Because I myself, I also play bass, and I'm actually okay. sitting across from my upright and my electric right now. Um, cool. Because I picked up upright almost exactly the same way you did. You know, because like, okay, I want to mm-hmm. go to college, I want to do this thing. Nobody wants to study electric bass. Like, that wasn't a thing when I was doing it. So, you really made a fast progression, right? If you were able to find an upright and and study it. So, like, were you still continuing to study music? I I mean, like, did you already have, like, your reading chops and all that sort of stuff? Oh, yeah, totally, yeah. From playing piano and trumpet um, and cello, those other instruments that I had played, you know, I, I, um, yeah, I had plenty of reading chops and uh and you know and, and when i started playing upright bass when i was 17 also i started getting more into jazz um and um and also playing both electric and upright but mainly electric i guess playing in a salsa band um uh, so i yeah i was able to read charts quite easily so how'd you make the jump to that huge fretless neck on the upright oh man it was kind of funny like at, at first you know I, I i tried using almost like electric bass type fingerings and only to <laughs> realize too. very yeah. quickly that that just does not work the scale is so much longer the string length is so much longer the, so the notes are sp- spaced out so much further so you just can't you can't uh, make that work and so uh, you know i had to get some proper training and uh, i actually kind of taught myself to play through rufus reed he's a uh, 
famous jazz bass player wrote these books called The Evolving Bassist. Oh, yeah. I've and uh, and I kind of taught myself out of those books um, before I, you know, finally went to college. And so I just, I, I would just play through those books, like, daily. I mean, there are a lot of the exercises in those books just constantly. Wow. And um, so, um, yeah, it was a good tool to sort of as a springboard. And then when I went to college, uh, my teacher there, you know, he taught me some fundamental techniques, but he never, I never did any kind of a method. I didn't know what any of the positions were. I just knew where the notes were. And um, my teacher throughout my undergrad, he just kind of gave me pieces to learn. And he didn't even have me do etudes. He had me do like wow. a few etudes my first year. And then he's like, yeah, I'm sure you'll continue to do these on your own. All right, let's just work on pieces. And that's, that was it, you know, the wow. rest of my undergrad. And then graduate school was like that too. Wow, so really, oh. you're you're a very high caliber player. I mean, and obviously, for anyone who's going to watch this this DVD, but wow, man, like Thank that's you. that's something. So, um, I I noticed because I was I was trying to you know go through your biography and see what other symphonies you play play with. I saw that you play with Charleston. Was that Charleston, South Carolina? That's correct. Yeah, okay. that was my first job out of school. Because I—that's actually where I currently live, and um, I've seen the no kidding. Scene. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, oh my oh, goodness! He played here. I'm like, neat. Yeah, I lived in West Ashley. Oh my goodness! No way. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I live up in Somerville. Like that's where I'm at right now. Awesome. Yeah, because I, well, I, grew I, up m- I might yeah. actually be back there this this year. The, uh, I I still have a lot of friends in Charleston, and I don't know. There's a drummer in the area named Quentin Baxter, who's like okay. a brother to me. He's like we're really close friends. Oh, we're going. Uh, he, he's he runs or he's in this band called uh, um, Ranky Tanky. They won a Grammy this year. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh, dude, yeah. He's the drummer so in Ranky Tanky. He's a really very close friend of mine, and actually Kevin Hamilton, the bass player. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call him my student, but he did take a few lessons with me when I was living there. Oh, that's just a awesome. wonderful guy. So um, how long were you here then? Two years. Wow, okay, okay. And then from here you went to San Francisco? That's right, yep. Rock on, man. Dude, and then, so you've been with San Francisco, what, 14 years, 16 years? That's, that, yeah, uh, since uh, 2004, so yeah, 16 wow. years. Rock my 17th on. year. I took a year off uh, from the orchestra. I was offered a position teaching at the University of Michigan, um, and it was such a compelling possibility, you know, a proposition, and I was so excited about it. I, you know, I just, I had to try it. So my actually, yeah. my whole family and I, we moved to Michigan for a year, but then I just, I missed playing so much. That was like about five years ago, and I just, I wasn't ready to to basically stop playing. So after being there for about a year, we were like, eh, I need to come. I need to go back, so we moved back to San Francisco. That's but, awesome. But but it was a it was a wonderful place to work and really wonderful people and um, yeah I I don't know it was a very difficult decision I'll just say the to say the oh, least yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's got to be so yeah. let's talk the S and M two right so yeah. the first one was done in ninety nine. Yep. And then they did this one to commemorate 20 years, and it was like a one-night thing. And it was also for the new – oh, forgive me. I can't remember the name of the center, but it was to kind of – The Chase Center for the Golden State Warriors play. Yeah, their new like home. Chris and the Chase Center there. So yep. um, before this project came up, like did you ever see a relationship between you know heavy metal and symphonic music? Or you know was this one of those things that's just kind of foreign? Well, I mean, I was – of course, familiar with uh, the first S and M, you know, quite a bit. It's actually kind of a funny story. When I first got the job in San Francisco, and I was 
on the phone with my brother, and he's like, so where, when I was living in Charleston, he's like, so where are you moving? You're moving to, to San Francisco? Is that- Wait a minute. Is that the orchestra that recorded with Metallica? And I said, yeah, it's them. He's like, whoa, you're going to play with them? So suddenly it was cool. Before that, it was like, didn't matter. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I... Uh, um, uh, I, uh, yeah, so I knew, I knew, of course, about that. And, and, um, and I guess, you know, there's, an, there's been a few other experiments over the decades of, of trying to mix metal and symphonic music together. And, but Metallica in particular, I think, works very well with the symphony orchestra. And I think a lot of that is because of Cliff and his influence of, uh, Cliff Burton, that is, uh, his influence uh, of classical music throughout his life and what he brought into their compositions in that early early period in particular um, so i think that um yeah their music is very orchestral and very you know kind of symphonic and big these big forms and um the uh, just the way the, the the structure of these form of these songs are that i think that it works quite well i i could agree more and, and i'm glad you brought up the, the cliff connection because i really feel like the the cliff influenced albums um Lightning, Ride the Lightning, Master Puppets, and then you know even a little bit of Injustice for All. Like those three strike me as like probably the best adaptable to a symphony just yeah. because of uh, of that you know that that writing style. Cause, I mean, I remember sitting in a music theory class in high school, like in '88, telling you know the teacher, I'm like, no, like like you could take this album, Master Puppets, and it could be a string quartet. Like you could totally do this, like chamber music, you know. And when they did the first S and M, I'm like, yes, yeah, like vindicated, yep. you know. And then, like yep. you said, other experiments, like stuff like the TSO, Trans Siberian Orchestra. Yeah, you know, like I absolutely love that, you know. Yeah. So, what were some of the challenges of working with a rock band? Because you've got these guys that are like, you know, four players used to playing with each other, and then you add thirty other people that are totally different sounds. Like, like what? What were some of the challenges around that? Well, it was, uh, you know, it was so professionally done, but yet at the same time flying by the seat of its pants. It was just a fascinating thing, you know, these people who are just such uh, top experts in their fields, you know, everything from production to, to sound engineering to the individual musicians to the stage crew. I mean, everybody was, is just first rate. But, you know, these things sometimes, you know, they fly by the seat of their pants, and there was a little element of that, which kept things certainly very exciting. And... Um, uh, but I think it came together really well. I mean, Bruce Coughlin was just such a pro in, in his arranging, and of course we already had Michael Kamen's charts, um, and, uh, you know, we got there and, and everything was ready to go for the most part. I mean, there were a few tweaks we had to make in the charts, uh, just, you know, as you're experimenting with it, and and, the, and then sometimes the band, is like Lars, would be like, you know what, I think we need to change this part here can we do you know four bars there instead of eight or whatever you know he would make some changes on the fly sometimes oh, and, wow. um, and I was in um, I, was, I was in the the HQ a little bit that, that day that I went and auditioned my piece for them essentially uh, before that happened I was just hanging out in the sound booth of those guys while they were doing planning and you know listening to things and talking about how they were going to get in and out of different songs and how this would work um, so yeah there was it was a it was, a, it was a crash course in many regards. And I mean, in fact, you know, as I've said in a number of interviews, uh, that it wasn't until July that I even had confirmation that I was going to be doing my thing, you know, but it, and even that wasn't set in stone because the band wanted to hear it. So, 
Wow. All right. Yeah. So, so let's, yeah. let's talk about that. So I would have set this up for the audience. So if you guys haven't watched the DVD yet, if you haven't heard the, the audio recording, you need to because Anesthesia Pulling Teeth is on there and Scott performs it. And Scott, I got to tell you, like um, I looked up the set list before I went to see the movie and I saw Anesthesia on there and I didn't know any anything about what was going to happen. But I honestly thought yeah. it was going to be Trujillo, right? And I love yeah. Trujillo. Like, I, I followed yeah. him from Infectious Grooves on. He's one of the, like, oh, yeah. just an amazing player. But uh, I, He's a saint, too. He's just the nicest dude. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. But, like, so as a bass player, I don't want to hear any other electric player play Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. Like, like that moment for me with Cliff recorded on Kill em All, like, I, I don't want to hear anybody else do it. And so... Yeah. In the film, when James Hetfield introduces you, I'm like, no, they're not. And then I watch with the electric upright and like my jaw just hits the floor. Like, so like, was that your idea? Like, like whose idea was it to, to do it like that? That was mine. That was my wow. idea. And, and so how uh, it all transpired is um, uh, soon after they had announced that this was going to happen, this SNM2 was going to happen, um, we were out on tour uh, doing a u.s tour with a san francisco symphony and yeah. we were in i think it was kansas city and i'm in the, come, come in, in the hotel lobby in the in the restaurant getting some breakfast or something and michael tilson thomas the music director of the orchestra sees me and he calls me over to his table and and uh we sit down and and he says yeah i wanted to talk to you about this and you know i, I especially wanted to talk to some of the members of the orchestra who have backgrounds in different styles of music i know you've done a lot of different things and because I often will play electric bass with the orchestra for different projects. And oh, stuff. okay. And so he knows he he know, and he knows that I have a very very somewhat unorthodox background as a classical player. And uh, and so uh, he just said that you know we're open to ideas from guys like you. You know, like do you if if any anything that you think you might want to do, um, whether it features you or or a group from the orchestra or something else. We're just you know we're just curious. Uh, if you have any ideas and, and I and I just kind of thought for a second and that's when it came to me it came to me almost immediately and I said you know what I've, I, I think I have an idea but I'm going to need to see if I can pull it off so let me get back to you give me a couple of couple of weeks and so I was thinking about it through the rest of the tour and starting to you know my blood starting to get hot and excited yeah. you know, thinking about it and um, uh, and so then I started downloading every version of anesthesia I could possibly find and uh, and then when we we got back from the tour and even on the tour a little bit I was starting to mess around with it but I was very careful because I didn't want to give it away so um, I never let anybody see me working on it because uh, I just kind of wanted it to be complete surprise for everyone so nobody in the orchestra knew I was doing it until um, the day before uh, the rehearsal with oh, Metallica so cool. so cool yeah I kept it very 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 quiet um, and uh, so I. Um, yeah, so I, I, when I got back to San Francisco, I started working on it in earnest and realizing, you know what, I think that this can work. I can make these, I can pull these licks off, and I can do some of my own things. And um, and then I realized that with the sound system that they have, I was going to have to get an electric upright. And so then I had to start to do legwork. How was I going to, where was I going to get one? What one was I going to use? And so I was just doing all this research on these different types of electric uprights that are available and then um and then also doing all the research on what kind of effects cliff use cliff used and 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 would they even work with an electric upright i don't know um and so uh i started uh, 
doing you know research online, and then I even went and met with some people at this local music store called Bananas at Large, and they actually the owner um, Alan knows James Hetfield and the Metallica guys because he's been around here for a long time, and uh, he's like, oh yeah, man, I think I I think I remember what what uh, effects Cliff was using, and and so and we, and we started talking, and then I was working with one of their effects experts, yeah. and we were listening to different versions. He's like, okay, this he's definitely using a harmonizer here. Oh, he's using an octavizer here. And I, and, and I was like, yep, okay, that's kind of what I thought. And so anyway, then I started to pick and choose which ones I thought would I would use. And I, I ended up deciding to, to go mainly with the effects that he used on the original album. But obviously, I, I couldn't find the exact same equipment yeah. that he used. Uh, some of that stuff's not available anymore, but um, plus, I, I, you know, I because I was using an electric upright, uh, I thought that I needed to um, find stuff that had a, some adjustability to it. So I ended up the wah pedal I ended up using was made by a company called Exotic, which is here in California. Oh yeah, okay. Um, and and it has a lot of adjustability on it. Um, and then um, I used a uh, harmonizer by Boss uh, just to give that sort of chorusing effect. Um, and then I used, uh, you know, I had a preamp and then I had, and then I tried a bunch of different fuzz pedals to try and find the right sound. And I kept going through, I was like, nope, it's not dirty enough. Nope, <laughs> not, not, not dirty enough. It's, it, you know, they kept, oh, okay, now try this one. Now try this one. Hey, try this one. This used to belong to Joe Satriani. <laughs> you know, I was like, okay, let me try it. Nope, not dirty enough. Oh, not the right awesome. sound. And then they found this, then they had this, uh, this germanium fuzz. It's, uh, this, they call it, I don't know, the triple pie muff pedal or something. It's, okay. uh, it, I can't remember the name of this guy. It's a sort of, he's sort of a boutique uh, pedal maker who lives in like Texas somewhere. And we plugged it in, and it was just ripping. And I was like, yep, I think that's it. Ah. That's it. Um, and I did contact, I did get connected with Morley, because they have the Cliff Burton signature pedal, and they oh, ended yeah. up sending me a pedal. And that thing sounded really awesome, too. The problem for me, and it was not the pedal's fault, it was not their fault. For me, it was at that point I had kind of figured out what I was going to do with this. I was starting to figure out what I was going to do with the solo and the way I needed to use the pedals and the way that their foot switch was located and also the way I needed to sort of toe down on the pedal itself at this certain point that I needed to and the way I needed to do it. I just, that pedal wasn't going to quite work for me just because of the, the way it's laid out. Gotcha. So, um, uh, so I ended up not using it as awesome as it sounded, but, uh, uh, anyway, so, and then I had, a this guy at that store build a pedal board for me with, uh, all the, um, different effects. And then, um, and then as, once we got into the rehearsals, kind of a funny thing is the, the morning of the first performance, this is like September 6th, I'm still tweaking my pedal board and rearranging it and rewiring it because I'm like, no, I got to try this different this <laughs> order, you know, because oh, yeah. I think the signal, because, and part of that was because of Big Nick, you know, he's like, you know, I'm not, you know, the signal, I need to get a better signal here. And, you know, and so he, he had suggested I try a different order in my pedal chain. And so, um, so I did that and, uh, that seemed to really, really, really help. So it wasn't until really like the afternoon of the first performance that I felt like I got that dialed in right. Wow. <laughs> Oh, wow. Yeah, because I had never used effects pedals before in my life, you know. So, um, you know, this is about, this is a couple months before the show that I was, you know, getting this stuff put together and trying to figure it out and and wow. writing the solo, you know, what I was going to play, transcribing various versions of Cliff's solos. Um, yeah. And I have all that in, in notebooks. In fact, uh, uh, Cliff's stepsister, uh, Casey Ramirez, she... Hmm. And I have been in touch, and, and it's very, very sweet. 
she asked if I would send her a page from my notes that they could Aww. put up in their in their tribute, uh, their so sort of cool. rock and roll hall of fame that they have in their house. Um, that was, yeah, I think, I, I don't know if Ray lived in that house or not, but um, it, it's the, sort of this, tri- this, this wall and, and um, it's commemorating that whole thing. So oh, I just actually, awesome. I just mailed that this morning. Man, that's cool. So, and yeah. I'm glad you brought up these transcriptions because I, I wanted to ask, like, so did you like write this out? Did you actually like, you know, write it out longhand? Yeah, some of it, some of it. Um, and I even had to download this app on my phone that allowed me to slow down the recordings because like some of it, you know, there's just so much effect yeah. and emotion going in it. Sometimes it's hard to tell what note he's actually playing. And so I used this, this uh, app, I forget the name of it, but it, it enabled me to slow down the speed without changing the pitch digitally. Um, and, um, and so I could kind of really dig in and, okay, that's the note he's playing there. Cause I, some of the stuff that he did, I really wanted it to be, you know, a transcription and then the other things are sort of approximations and then other things are kind of my own thing. Dude, wow! I, I'm just I'm sitting here flabbergasted because like you know I told you before we started your performance was just amazing, it's jaw dropping, right? Oh, and then you. just to hear what you went into, and then I mean the fact that you've never used effects pedals and you you do this, I mean a lot of guys they you know their first pedal is gonna be like one pedal, like you had a lot going on, man. <laughs> I, I felt compelled to do it. I had to do it. It was like an obsession. I was like, I was so determined to make this work and, and, you know, contacting this company in Italy to make me this base. And then they shipped it to me and then, um, and then figuring out how to use it. And when I first plugged it in, it was, it was not, it, some things just didn't, weren't sounding right. And I was starting to get really freaked out and like, yeah. Oh no, what am I going to do? <laughs> you know? And then realized I had some things set up wrong and, um, and going through all of this without, with no guarantee that the thing was even going to happen. But I just was like, I have to get this right in case it does. Yeah. And so um, uh, that fir- it was like the first or second week of July last summer, um, or the previous summer, the summer before the shows, that I got a call from Edwin, who was the conductor. And he was like, yep, uh, he says, I'm your basic, basically your intermediary on this. And I just heard from the band and... And so we are a go for your solo. They're cool with it, but they do want to hear it. So make sure you're in the Bay Area the last week of August, the week before the rehearsals begin, because the band wants you to come to HQ and they want to hear it. Oh, that's so cool. So I was like, all right. And then it was like the countdown <laughs> to that week. <laughs> wow. wow. So, so what was that like when you get to HQ and you take your, your electric upright and stuff in? Like, how'd that go? Oh, man, that was, that was crazy. I was... Um, you know, that whole week I was, uh, you know, getting excited about it. And I didn't know, actually, I didn't even know which day it was. And it was finally like a Monday or Tuesday afternoon. I get a call from someone in the production team and they're like, hi, you know, can you come to HQ on Thursday at three o'clock this week? And I'm like, yep. <laughs> you know, I was actually supposed to be out of town and I canceled everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, then, then that morning, you know, I was, I, you know, practiced it a couple of times through and I felt pretty nervous and, um, and their headquarters is only about a 15-minute drive from my house. Oh, wow. And, um, yeah, I live pretty close by. They're just, like, a couple of towns north of here. And um, so I I, um, so I drove up there, and and uh, I come in, and all the, all the band, everybody, they were inside the, the sound booth and the engineering booth to working on the set list, working on the whole transitions and all that. And Edwin was in there and in the band and Greg Fiddleman and, various uh, production team 
And uh, so when I got there, I mean, they were expecting me. They let me in, and, and um, I'm chatting with the guys. And I met uh, Stefan Shirazi, who's one of their um, publicists, and we were chatting. And then they, they bring me into the, to the sound room. And the first person I run into as I walk in the room is, uh, um, is uh, Kirk is sitting there on the, on the couch, noodling away on his guitar. And, and, I, and he kind of pauses, and he looks up at me, and he's like, who are you and what do you do? <laughs> it wasn't like the most friendly actually it was just kind of very very curt and abrupt and i'm like well uh my name is scott and allegedly i'm gonna play the bass for you guys today and he's like oh okay cool man all right cool welcome and then he was suddenly very friendly um and uh and then lars saw me i i actually know lars a little bit because he lives here and he comes to symphony concerts somewhat regularly oh no kidding and yeah, yeah i've i've uh um uh, seen him backstage a number of times. I even ran into him at my doctor's office at one point. <laughs> he's, like, <laughs> That's I'm cool. in, like, he's like in the waiting area, and uh, and uh, uh, I ran into him there. It was kind of funny. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, we um, I've met and chatted with him a number of times before, so it was it was nice to see that familiar face. And he was so friendly and welcoming, and helped me feel comfortable. And then. And then Rob Trujillo came over very quickly and introduced himself, and he was such a such a just stellar human being. He's just so awesome, and uh, everybody was super nice, and uh, we all hung out. And I just kind of sat there, and, and Lars was like, "So, do you want to do your thing now, or do you want to just hang out, whatever you want to do?" And you know, and uh, so I just said, "Well, finish your business, and then whenever it's convenient, I I cleared my schedule for you guys, so they were cool with it." And um, uh, so we, we, I sat in there for probably about a half hour, and then it got to a point where Lars was like, hey, let's hear your thing. Let's do that. And so I said, okay, let's go set it up. And um, they put me in their rehearsal space. They set me up right where James normally stands. James James was not in town yet. He was he was flying in the next day. Um, and uh, so um, I got my rig set up, and, and, uh, and then once I was ready to go and plugged into their sound system and everything, then... The band comes in and all this production crew. I don't know, it's like 20 people surrounding me in a semicircle. Wow. And uh, and then Lars, uh, he's sitting there with his toothpick in his mouth, and he just looks up at me and he's like, "Okay, no pressure, but uh, let's hear it." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "All right, let's do it." I kind of laughed, and then uh, and then I played the whole thing just without drums. Obviously, I just I just played it through. And as soon as I stopped, they all just were just cheering. It was so cool. It was such That's a great awesome. feeling. They just loved it. And, and and then after the cheering, you know, kind of fizzled down a little bit, and then then, uh, then Kirk spoke up, and he said, man, Cliff would have loved that. And that just meant so much, because I know how close those guys were. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, Kirk was just, he was really excited. And then Lars and, and Kirk and, and Rob come around me and they're like hugging me and, and they were just so excited about it. And, and even Rob, Rob was like, man, can I get your phone number? I'm not kidding you, Rob. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'd like to get your info, man. Can I get your phone number? And I just started laughing. I was like, you want my phone number? <laughs> He's like, yeah, man, let's hang out. I'm like, That's okay. Awesome, so we did. Man. We actually did hang out quite a bit while he was in town. Oh, so cool. And um, we closed a bar together, a, lo- a local bar together. That was pretty fun. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, and uh, anyway, so um, uh, yeah, that was a really cool experience. And then, and then, um, so then Lars was like, "So, what do you want to do with this? Do you want to, like, you and Rob want to trade off? Like, how could we, in, in, uh, you know, integrate Rob into this?" And Rob stepped in, and he just said, "No, 
I think we need to just let this ride as it is. He says, he says this is special, and I don't think that I need to be involved with this. He's so just such a gentleman, man. He's just so awesome. And I mean, a part of me, I was kind of bummed because I actually thought it would be cool, perhaps, if somehow we, you know, did something together. Yeah. But uh, no, he was like, he was pretty adamant. He's like, I think that this just needs to, we need to let this ride. And then Lars asked me, he says, so, well, do you want me to play on it? I would love to play on it. What do you want? I said, yes, I really am hoping that you would play on it. And he said, I would love to do that. So, uh, so then we rehearsed it a few times That's and so cool. locked down what the right tempo would be and, yeah. and, and everything. And, um, and, uh, and so that, that whole thing took, I don't know, 45 minutes to an hour, maybe wow. like an hour. I don't know. Time was flying by. I'm not even sure. Maybe it was longer than that. <laughs> and then after that, uh, they, um, uh, uh, they just said, Hey man, hang out here as long as you want. Do you want something to eat? Do you want some dinner? You know? <laughs> so I just hung out with them at HQ for a while. And, awesome. and while they were getting ready for whatever the next thing is that they were going to do, um, then Kirk and I kind of hung out in their kitchen area in their headquarters for a while, and he started telling me a lot of stories about Cliff and and how they would do these marathon listening sessions, listening to classical music and and especially Bach. And um, and that's when I was like, man, I knew it. I knew I could tell Cliff was really into Bach just by just by the solo, uh, yeah. just just some of the little motives and things that I heard in it. I, I just kept hearing Bach in that, and he's like, oh man, he was so into it, and he would. He'd be like, hey, check out this tune here. Like, you hear this chord progression? All right, now listen to this Bach piece. It's the same chord progression. I totally stole it from him. You know, he'd <laughs> get all excited about stuff. And um, and then Stefan Shirazi, he was uh, then chatting with me more and telling me, you know, along with Kirk, more stories of uh, back in the days. And um, and then Stefan did an extensive interview with me after that too, which was really fun. And, and um, for their for their um, uh, for their blog. And, uh, yeah, and it was so exciting. And that was like, that was Thursday. And then I think the following Saturday was when we had our first rehearsal with just the orchestra, um, with, uh, without the band. And it was just orchestra just to go through the charts. And so then Edwin is running the rehearsal and, and then he, they rehearsed all within my hands. And he said, okay, then after this, um, we're going to do Scott's solo. And then, then everybody was like perking up, like, wait, what? what what is this and then he's like oh you guys didn't know about this he's like oh yeah wait till you hear it <laughs> and all my colleagues all the bass players were like what is this and i said well i kind of kept it cool you'll you'll see it and um uh, so that was all that was all pretty fun and and uh to have that surprise and uh and they, then they did ask me that I, to keep it quiet too they said please don't post anything about this on social media or anything because we want this to be a surprise for the fans. It was the in fact they even changed after after they heard me play it in that rehearsal. Um, they actually changed the set list after that. I was supposed to play earlier in the in the show. Yeah. And um, and after that was done, then then Lars was like, you know, what, we need to put this right before Rome. He says this would be perfect to to go right into uh, yeah. wherever he may Rome. Yeah. Dude, like I I can't even begin to tell you the emotion I felt in the theater. Like I didn't even get to see it live. I can't even imagine what it would have been like to be live at the Chase Center to experience it. The this the um the concert recording was just so well done. I'm in the theater. Yeah. I am literally throwing up the hand, the horns and cheering. There's like five of us in there and we're all cheering. We're like, Yeah like dude <laughs> it was just so amazing. Cause I told you like I am so particular about it and I just oh like what are they gonna do and when when i saw it i'm like 
you've got to be kidding me. I, I, I would have never imagined that in a million years. And the fact that you bowed it and just, dude, it was, it was just fantastic. It was such a wonderful piece of music. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, no, well, it was very... No, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, no, I was going to say, it was, you know, it's, it, was, it was a real honor. You know, I was, I was so, feel so blessed to have gotten to do it. It was a very special uh, moment in my own career, too, I have to say. Oh, yeah, man. It's amazing. It's amazing. So, do you have a fave Metallica song, obviously outside of Anesthesia Pulling Teeth? Well, you know, it, it, they've kind of, like, Battery and... Uh, yes. Was, ...was one of my favorites for forever. But, I don't know, lately, uh, because... Uh, so we just actually, I just got my deluxe box set, which I bought, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I emailed, I emailed um, Mark Ryder, who's like the creative director of Metallica, yeah. and I said, "Hey, I just wanted to let you know, I'm, I, I'm so happy. I, you know, I got my deluxe box set, and I wanted you to know it was very difficult to find." And he was, he wrote back that he was thrilled to hear that it was so difficult to find. <laughs> yeah, it was hard. Yeah, yeah. and uh, um, but anyway, so I. I I wanted to see how it turned out because, you know, they had done a lot of re-editing, you know, just improving the sound quality and also um, the, um, for the video itself because they, you know, they put the, the theater release movie together really fast, like in 30 days, like like unprecedented amount of editing. Wow. So I was just curious, of course, to see how they, oh, it's incredible. They had teams working 24-hour shifts. Wow. Like day in and day out to get that thing edited. I know And that. ready for the theaters by that October release date. They were just killing themselves trying to get that ready, and uh, and so obviously you know the, they had the luxury of time uh, for to do it for the DVD package. So they spent a lot of time you know, you know re-editing the video, and um, anyway, so uh, I was of course curious to see how it turned out, and then listening to it, and then then listening to to wherever I may roam, I just. But I've started to really get into that tune now. So that's, I don't know, that's become <laughs> one of my favorites. I, I love that one. But also, you know, Cthulhu, my kids just love Cthulhu. Yeah. Um, and also the, um, uh, 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 oh, uh, my brain is just fried right now. The uh, oh, the opening number, um, uh, the Ecstasy of Gold. Oh, Ecstasy of Gold, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, my kids, are they love hearing that. And also they heard... They heard uh, anesthesia played a lot in my car as I was preparing for it because I was constantly listening <laughs> yeah. to it. Uh, when I, the various versions of Cliff doing it, uh, yeah. so uh, yeah, it was, it's uh, it's it's hard to say what my favorite one is, but um, with the, the the song one yeah. uh, was one of that was a that was really my first Metallica song that I learned on my on the bass and oh, played wow. with my band. And by the way, I'd like to add that, that, that band that I played in, yeah. we didn't have a singer, so we <laughs> did everything instrumental. Oh, jeez. <laughs> so we would be playing these Metallica tunes with no singer. It's just so funny. And I remember we <laughs> did this like thing at our high school yeah. and someone listened to it and was like, so where's the singer? And I'm like, oh, well, we don't have one. And they're like, you're just playing all these songs without the lyrics? And we're like, well, yeah, none of us <laughs> wants to sing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it was kind of funny. We just did it for fun, but it, was, it had a blast. It really had a blast. Oh, um, but uh, yeah, so yeah, it's hard to say what my my favorite one is. There's so, there's so many. They're so good. All right. Well, now let's flip it because this this one's my personal curiosity. What's like your favorite classical song? Like either to listen to or perform. Oh man, that is 
that's even harder. <laughs> I say. thought I mean, it might be. Just, I mean, you have centuries of music that you could draw from, and so many different composers of different areas of the world, and um, you know. I have to kind of go with Cliff a little bit uh, in that I often will come back to Bach. Uh, Bach's music, just, it, it, I never, there's never a time that I don't like it, ever. It's just, it, it is just pure, pure beauty and spiritual joy to hear it. Um, I love the music. Franz Schubert is one of my all-time favorite composers. He's sort of the bohemian poet yeah. of uh, classical music and um his songs are just so many of them are just emotionally devastatingly beautiful. Um, uh, I love to play Mahler. The San Francisco Symphony has spent a lot of time performing and touring, playing Mahler's symphonies. Um, oh yeah! Uh, recently, I've been listening a lot to this piece that front, that uh, uh, Robert Schumann wrote for French horn called the Adagio um, and uh, an Allegro for. Um, uh, for French horn, but a lot of bass players and horn players and stuff play it, and it's just so that's cool. It's so beautiful. Anyway, so it, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> to, it's really that's a, like an impossible thing to say. It's just so. There's just so much. Of course, I, you know, I love playing Beethoven. Although Beethoven starts to exhaust me because he's so angry. Yeah. But Beethoven's kind of heavy metal, I have to say. He um, really is. He's, he really he, is. Some of his music, like if you you listen to um, like even his third symphony, there's there's parts in that first movement. It's just total rock and roll. Oh yeah, You're just hammering these chords over and again. Boom, 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 boom. So like a, uh, before like Rite of Spring, like Stravinsky, which also is so much fun to play. So yeah. Anyway, in answer to your question, I can't I can't <laughs> pick. It just depends on my mood. There's yeah. so many different things. Oh, that's all right. So much, so much that's so beautiful. Oh, wow. All right. Well, so I, I do want to be respectful of your time here, so we'll start wrapping this. Um, do you have anything like you want to plug, website, any any upcoming performances you want to let our listeners know about? Uh, I, I, I wish I could. I, a, I'm terrible with social media and <laughs> doing it, but, but, you know, like the whole music world is shut down. Yeah, still, uh, that's right. For the most Duh. part. I don't know what I was And so about. there's just not that much going on. And, and uh, But San Francisco Symphony is hopefully going to start cranking up with online content in the next oh, couple of weeks. On. Okay. Um, so we're hoping, we're trying to see how that's all going to work. And um, our new music director, Esapekka Salonen, um, has a lot of vision for taking the orchestra in new directions with uh, various um, collaborative partners who are all just these fantastic artists. And for bass players out there, uh, it's exciting news because one of our collaborative partners is Esperanza Spalding who is just this absolutely magnificent bassist and singer. Yeah. Um, wow. She is just, I've been a big fan of hers for a while, so yeah. I'm really excited about that. And um, I hope that means I get to play something with her. So, uh, and uh, so we'll see. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to end up doing, but Man, it's uh, awesome. exciting. That is so just I guess awesome. keep, a, keep an eye on the San Francisco Symphony website. You never know when what something, something exciting might, might pop up. And, uh, you know, we're all, just, just desperately missing human contact and performing and for each other and for you know, our patrons and, and playing playing music together and it's just uh, it's tough. It's 
Amen. That's been the hardest thing of all this is just, it's, I feel it just has such an impact on anything where people get get together, whether it's music or the restaurant industry or, you know, those sort of things. It's been tough. Yep. It's been tough. Well, Scott, thank you so much for this interview today. It has been an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's been my pleasure too. If you're not tuned in to the Shining Wizards, listen to what some of our fans have to say about the show. Hey guys, it's the Stallion, and when I'm contemplating suicide, I throw on the Shining Wizards because nothing makes me feel better than knowing I'm not one of these four grown adults, virgin fucking marks, discussing a fake wrestling product. Tune in live every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. East, rantemradio.com. It's the Shining Wizards where it's wrestling talk and talk about wrestling. Right, so that was our interview with Scott. Scott, once again, I cannot thank you enough for the time that you took and the conversation because it quickly became evident during that um, interview, and I called this out during the interview, that Scott is a monster musician. And I mean monster musician. It's, it's one thing for somebody to pick up an electric bass and be pretty darn good. It's another thing to decide you're going to find an upright bass and teach yourself. Like, that's, like, being as somebody, and it's kind of funny because, like, we both started picking up upright around the same age. You know, I don't I don't know, like, like how old he is versus how old I am. Like, I'm pretty sure I'm older. But around that same age, and I mean, you know, as, as an 18-year-old bassist, picking up an upright for the first time, um, that was a lot, you know. And there's a lot of things to figure out. And, I mean, I played trombone, so I had an ear for an instrument where you didn't have precise things like a fret or a key or a valve to push down, but it just, dude, playing upright, it, it's a beast, right? And so, so man, just the performance. Now, you had a chance to listen to it, right? Like, what, what, yes, what, like, take, take me through your impression of it. Uh, well, first and first, first and foremost, I'm mostly when it comes to Metallica, I'm I'm a first four albums guy. Like I'm that that would be really no surprise at all. Um, so like the actual songs that that they did, and this this is just a this is just a minor thing because it just it just comes down to like. Like a lot of concert goers, it's like, well, I would rather have heard this song, or why didn't they do this? Why didn't they they do that? And like, it kind of comes into play a little bit with me, but that's a minor thing. It definitely did not detract me from my entire listening experience. I have to admit, I went back a couple times just to listen to "For Whom the Bells Toll" over and over because oh, so it good. works. It works so well in this environment you know, coupled with the orchestra and all that. Same thing with Master of Puppets and all that. And I got to tell you, okay, I marked out, okay, because James himself introduced our creature feature tonight by name, personally, at the beginning of Anastasia. Like, that's... Yeah. Oh, wow. That was was amazing. That was a highlight. Of yeah. the whole record for me, it, dude. That was one of those moments, like like sitting in the theater. Like I couldn't even imagine 
what it would have been like to be at the um the chase center right like 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 when this was going on because when he did that i'm like holy crap and you know as as everyone heard in the interview scott had to go to metallica hq and interview this piece i mean the whole process where you know the um the director took him aside and said, Hey, you know, you, you, you like other styles of music. Can you think of anything fun to do? And he started working on this piece in secret. Like the people in the orchestra up until like, like a day or two before the performance had no idea he was doing this. Cause they're like, Oh yeah, Scott's going to have a solo. And they're like, what, what solo, you know? And <laughs> it just the whole story about him going and hanging out in Metallica HQ and, you know, he walks in and, and, and the, the reception was kind of, you know, kind of hot and cold there. Cause they're like, well, who are you? And, and they're like, oh, okay, yeah, let's hear it. And he's like, I look in the booth and they're like cheering and like really excited about it. Like, like they were just flipped out. And I mean, like when you hear Scott in the interview, talk about the fact he's like, okay, well, I knew I had to get effects. I knew I had to do this. He's like, I've never used an effect pedal in my life. So Let's just talk about that again, because I talked about this in the interview, but if you've never used an effect pedal in your life, wah and fuzz are not the first damn place to start, right? And he's like, no, I was like, I knew I wanted this sound and this sound, and I tried this one. I'm like, and that comes back to what I said about This guy's just a beast of a musician. Like, like never having used an effect pedal, like, all right, here we go. I'm going to do this, because, dude. And it just, it sounded so good. He bowed it. The one thing I forgot to ask, and um, and, we, and we talked briefly about the fact that he did transcribe it, is I would love to know if they're going to, like, publish the transcription of it. You know, because there's various different tab books from Metallica and bass tab books. Mm-hmm. I would love to see this transcription for Electric Bass published, even just like a one-off tribute for Cliff or something like that. And then that'd be cool. And how about in the interview where um he he sent um it was Cliff was it Cliff's stepsister I think he said he he's a bit of a piece of um his the music he's working on from his notebook went to the family and they put it on on like their cliff wall at their house. Wow! Dude, yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, it's so fantastic. So, and now you called out like for whom the bell tolls, which I think is fantastic. But a song that that like I've always gone back and forth on with Metallica, Call of Cthulhu is okay. absolutely amazing in this setting. Like, like Cthulhu is probably one of my favorite songs right now behind Anesthesia Pulling Teeth because I will just listen to Anesthesia Pulling Teeth on repeat right now. Um, <laughs> but Call of Cthulhu, I'm like, geez, this is so good. That works well, yeah, within that environment too. Yeah, it's, a, it's amazing. Like I, I'm sitting here, so I've got the box set, and I think we talked about this a while ago. Um I'm pulling some of the stuff up. The colored vinyl on this box set is fantastic, but I've actually got two pieces of sheet music from the score. And you can tell they did like an exact um, reproduction because I can see the pencil behind like the, um, the black marker as well. (laughs) <laughs> where they write, write this stuff in here. And I'm like, this is just fantastic. Like The devil's in the details, man. Yeah, it, it, for sure. it is. And it's funny, because like, I haven't looked at a score in probably 20 years. I'm like, oh, this brings back so many me- memories, you know? And the, the sheet music I have is for all within my hands. I don't know if it's any different in the uh, deluxe box sets or if that's just all the same one that's included in all of them. I know there is like like a different box set, but you had to basically go into a lottery to buy it. It was $300. 
And then that came with the actual sheet music. So not a reproduction, but an actual piece of the sheet music that was used in the performance. And while that's cool, like the the difference of like almost like $180, it wasn't worth it to me. Like I'm pretty happy with everything I got because that was really the only difference I could see. Um, so I got that. It's got the DVD, the albums. I'm sitting here with these awesome guitar picks. And I, I think one of my favorites is the pick is black and it looks like a tuxedo. And it's got the S&M logo on it. <laughs> um, nice. But then there's this picture book that came with this, right? And this is just so stinking cool. Like the one, as soon as you, you flip it open... It's got this amazing like photo collage with Scott and Lars, right? For anesthesia pulling teeth. So you've got Scott bowing the electric upright and Lars just going to town on it. And it just, man, it's so much fun. Oh, and here's a good shot of um, Kirk Hammett playing his uh, Karloff ESP. Just, dude, I, I'm... I. I, like and you know, and I talk about this in here. Like I, I have always felt that, especially with with metal, thrash metal in general, I really felt a strong connection to the classical world. You know, and I can remember sitting in music theory class in '88 with my copy of Master of Puppets, trying to explain to the teacher. I'm like, no, really, like all these same elements you're talking about, that's happening here. Like this harmonization, you know. And when I got into college and started studying it, and we're talking about, you know, thirds and harmonization and thirds and diminished thirds, I'm like, well, that's what's going on in Orion. Like, that's exactly what's happening, you know? So, yeah, man, like, like just to see to see this all happen again, and I, I like this version, honestly, better than the first one I did in 99. Like, I, I feel like this is a, this is a better recording um, oh, and then how about in the interview with Scott talking about the fact that to get it ready to go to theaters, they were doing like 24-7 production crews. They were working round the clock to get the editing done. And then he said the editing's different on the DVD. So I, I want to sit down and watch the DVD, see if I can see what's different. Um, but yeah, yeah, like I, dude, I'm just so stoked. Like it was such a pleasure to talk to Scott uh, mm-hmm. about this whole performance. Definitely, definitely. It's always one of those, you know, like like I said at the at the top of the hop here, we like band interviews are great. I love doing them, but we every once in a while, you know, something like within the metal world, but just kind of a little bit out outside the box always makes always makes for a great time and a fantastic episode. Oh yeah. For sure, for sure. And we hey, hey, um S and M three, perhaps someday. Oh, you, you know, know, I'd be all about that, but I, I honestly sure. don't know how they're going to top it. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know what they could, because I mean, anesthesia was such a, man, such a surprise. Like I do not know how they could top what they did. Well, that's always the challenge of an artist. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, like, yeah. Okay, this this was good. How can I top it? What, what, what can I do? With a project like this, okay, now, like, there's, they're always, yeah, like, a lot of metalheads, like, have a strong interest in classical music, you know, like, that's, metal derives from classical music, and a lot of artists will tell, will, will tell you that, but classical music fans, (laughs) okay, and... (laughs) 
and you know, like like a musician, okay, knows good music and what take what goes into making good music. And there's not too many people, you know, that sat in the in the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra and went, "Oh, that metal's just a bunch of noise," <laughs> you know, like you like we hear all the time from just Joe Average Normie that knows nothing about music no doesn't know doesn't know anything about what goes into it and how it's created and all sorts of talent they just hear three seconds of it and go and they don't understand the lyrics or the you know the vocals are are gruff and all they know is you know music that sounds like a phil collins ballad so it's like oh that's that's that you know that doesn't take any talent that doesn't take that's all noise i'm willing to bet okay there is not a single person sitting in the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra that says shit like that. Because they know, because they are musicians and they they know what goes into it. Now, though, like with classical fans and that prejudice against metal music, against punk, is definitely there. I'm just wondering if this, a project like this, would kind of change some uh change change some attitudes amongst these quote unquote old timers or these old people that just like classical music or whatever the elitists the music snobs i wonder if a project like this and this is just you know i'm just i'm just throwing it out there yeah. i wonder if this would change any attitudes and and make people go hey you know maybe metal isn't just all noise maybe it's not it just oh and another one of my favorites is oh it all sounds the same <laughs> oh, there's there's 800 million different subgenres it can't yeah. if you think if, if you can't if you think that you know hair metal death metal and grindcore all sounds the same then you're tone deaf you are like because it's <laughs> it's totally different to totally different sub subgenres and all that. Now, if these people, these elitists, these music snobs, can see metal being mixed and working so well with classical music, like if you're, if that doesn't change some attitudes, then you're just being stubborn and not trying. Oh yeah. That's that's all that is. That's all it is. So when I see, when I see projects like this, when I see musicians like tonight's creature feature and all that, that just makes me go hell yeah. Hell yeah. This is one of those CDs where the people, when I was a teenager, that were very, very stubborn about, you know, metal is terrible. It's not going to be here in 20 years, um, especially Metallica. (laughs) And, um, you know, you really should focus more on this classical music. I just want to wrap this up and mail it to each and every one of them. I want to send all of them a copy. And just be like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, give this a listen. XOXO, your long-haired metal student, you know. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Growing up, did you, in speaking about unique music for metalheads and all yeah. that, were you ever a CCR fan? Oh, Green hell yes. Water Revival. Hell yes. Like, like uh, I loved CCR. I have a double live CCR album. That I bought as a teenager um, at the PX um, in Jacksonville, Florida, visiting my aunt and uncle down there with my grandfather. That I just I've always loved that album. But yeah, man, like 
CCR was it was a staple in my household growing up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, like as as I was growing up, mom liked ABBA, dad liked Neil Diamond, and all that, and that's pretty much all that came out of their stereo when I wasn't using it, except for a little bit of CCR. So I don't know; it's kind of, it's kind of weird, but the the one artist that my dad kind of dug. You know, and it's not like he's Mr. Hippie or anything like that. He was quite anti. He grew up, you know, in a in a very um, conservative household, and he was a military man and all that. But CCR did come out of his stereo, and I enjoyed it as a kid and all that. As an adult, one of the songs that I definitely appreciate now more than ever is Fortunate Son. Right. Okay, just because of the lyrical content and all that and just what it's all about it's it's got something to say and it's just it's it's not only got something to say but it's also a good party song as well and very rarely do those two cross right so right so it's very it's 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 an absolutely amazing song now what the lyrical content about it is it's all about how white rich white privilege you know because you had that you found a way out of the uh draft you're basically rich privileged white people using it to you know you using their wealth at, to to be a draft dodger during vietnam yeah okay powerful powerful message powerful song okay now, <laughs> does okay? I, I don't imagine that Mr. Donald Trump okay reads very much. Okay, I just imagine <laughs> like a mo- mo- most of the, just from what I've seen and listening to him talk and all that. Mo- most of the stuff has to be read to him. Okay, I don't know how he manages to use teleprompters and all that for all of his speeches. With this song. Did someone not read him the lyrics to Fortunate Son before it is a song that... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry, because this is just one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. As part of his campaign trail, they are using this song. Yeah. Dude. I, it, it does it's it a, make sense. <laughs> it's about him. It's it's not not directly because it was obviously written long before, you know, Trump became anything apart from born with a silver spoon in his mouth, but it's about him. It's about it's about that. Like it, old Trump. There he epitomizes this song. And while I'm going, while I'm reading all about this, because it's been all over the music news. You know, the rest of the world is just laughing at America again, you know, and I don't, 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 don't attribute this to America. Just attribute it to Trump and his dumbass, you know, his dumbass party and all that. <laughs> okay. Someone's, oh, it's, it's, it's all about him. It's all about him, you know, and when I, and I'm going through the websites and all that, and I'm reading up on it. It didn't even occur to me, or I just learned today, you know, reading through all this, that he f- he had some sort of minor affliction that kept him 
out of the dodge or out of the draft. Well, and it's so, funny because I was looking that up right now because he was born in 46. So in 66, he would have been 20 and obviously two years past draft age at that point. And Vietnam was in full swing. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. like, like, <laughs> and apparently, yeah. apparently, yeah, he had some minor medical thing that his white privilege and power got him out of the dodge. And then they go and use this song. Wow. Yeah, that that's one of those things where you just got to shake your head, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's been the the Ramy Awards, dude. Get 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 it going through your head. It's fast approaching what the Ramy Awards here if you're to, if you're tuning in for tonight's creature feature. That's where we sit down and have our own little take on the Grammys, Ramy, Grammy, haha. Okay, that's when we sit down and we talk about all of our favorites in various different categories. News story of the year. <laughs> this this is definitely a contender for me with this. There is some delicious irony with this as well. You know DOA, the legendary Canadian punk band DOA. Yeah. Okay, years ago... Okay, like their latest record, I talked about it last year, their latest album, Treason. The first se- the first single from that is a shot at Donald Trump calling fucked up Donald. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I mentioned, talked about it on the show, I mentioned it and all that. The irony here, okay, is years ago, DOA covered CCR's Fortunate Son. See how, you know, <laughs> the music gods just kind of make things in a roundabout way, kind of go full circle. <laughs> all that. So, so, with all of this in mind, <laughs> we're going to drop a track now from the mighty DOA, and we're going to dedicate it to Mr. Trump from last year's treason record. This is DOA's with Fucked Up Donald. Always on the lookout for fresh new talent. Check out this indie spotlight. Well, 
Okay, dude. Um, looks like you're not done there. I am not, man. So this has been a great week for me with the metal because two years ago, we debuted a track by a band called De Gregorio. And, you know, it's, it's no secret on this show that when we we have friends in bands, we're going to play their music, you know, hence the band Shit Happens, Ducky's band mm-hmm. that comes on and we love talking sure. to them, you know, and, and yeah. among others, right? But so, um, De Gregorio is the project of my friend Sue. And Sue and I have known each other for about 20 years. And um, so I sat down to do a side stage interview with her because her new record is going to drop on October 30th. It's available for pre-sale right now at Bandcamp, right? So I think it's degregorio.bandcamp.com. And um, please check that out. But if you're going to make a purchase, if you would pre-order, please pre-order on um, October 2nd, Friday, October 2nd, because that is Bandcamp Friday. So um, we're going to get into my interview here with Sue. We sit down, we talk about just kind of her background and, and honestly, even some of our time together as musicians. And we get into a very interesting story on one of the songs on the album, because um, she's had a lot of interesting things happen to her, like like supernatural things, we'll say. And so there's a song on the album that's kind of uh, close to her for that. But before we do, let's listen to a track by Di Gregorio. And this track is called Writing on the Wall.
Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Radioactive Metal Side Stage Interview. This is what we have traditionally called our extended Indie Spotlight. You probably heard the Indie Spotlight bumper and Snowy introduced it, or maybe I introduced it because this is in the past and will be in the future. It's kind of crazy. But anyway, I'm really excited about tonight's interview because um, two years ago we played Dark as Night on Radioactive Metal. The whole staff um, loved it. It was a part of our Indie Spotlight, and it was a good friend of mine, Sue Decree, and her project was D. Gregorio, House of Gregory. And um, so we get to talk with Sue tonight. So, Sue, how's it going? It is It is actually a bright, sunny day in Pittsburgh. Go wow. figure. Yeah, that I doesn't know, happen right? in Pittsburgh. That doesn't happen often. You get like 100 of those a year. We actually we get less. We have more overcast days in Pittsburgh than they get in Seattle. Wow! I know, right? right? Nice to be the leader. It's funny (laughs) that it's um, it's raining or no, it's sunny up there, but it's raining cats and dogs here. Like today feels like a Pittsburgh day. See, you're probably feeling right at home right now. You know, it's so weird. Like as much as I got tired of the rain and stuff. And even like when I've been back to visit recently, like I'm just like, man, is it this gray all the time? When um when it rains here, like I really feel at home. It's so weird, but I still love the sunshine. It's crazy. It's I know when my brother moved from Pittsburgh to Philly, one of his first phone calls was, "I haven't seen rain in two weeks. This is so weird." I you know I never, didn't even think about that because that is completely the other side of the state. It is, but um, yes. According to a friend of mine that I used to work with, she was convinced that Philadelphia and Pittsburgh were right next to each other. Because um, when I moved down here, she was like, oh, we're going to be in Philadelphia. That's like going home for you. I'm like, I just got to let it go. And then she said it again. I'm like, you know those are on opposite ends of the state, right? She's like, whatever. And the state is, and the state is like Seven what? hours long. Seven hours long. It's, it's uh, 320 miles from yeah. Pittsburgh to Philly. Not that I have made that drive often. Uh, as you know, I am originally from Philly. Yes. And I moved even better. I know, man. It's a hike. So let's talk here. So I was reading the press kit and I'm reading the press kit. And it's very wonderfully written. And Thank you. I come across this part that says in her 50th year, when the hell did you turn 50? In March. Wow. I, I turned 50 this past March. Well, so the worst part about that is like I read that and I'm like, um, I'm old because when we met, I was like barely 20, right? 20, 21. Yeah. I was 23. Yeah. I was taking lessons at Duquesne privately from the now, uh, assistant chair of the guitar department. And I, it was my first foray into jazz after coming off of classical. Wow. So if that doesn't mess with your head. Now, was that I don't Mark know what does. Cook or was that Kenny Karsh? That was Mark Cook. Mark Although Karsh. Ken Karsh, in between lessons, used to come out in the hallway while I was waiting for Mark, yeah. and he used to like show me some stuff, and we used to jam and chat a little bit as well. I I don't think Duquesne has ever gotten the notoriety that it should as a music school. Like I really don't. So I didn't go there for music per se. Um, I actually t- took private lessons off Mark Cook. Um, and of course I knew everybody down there. Bill, uh, Bill Purse used to come in and chat with Mark and chat with me while I was sitting in the hall waiting and for, he was waiting for lessons at one point, right? He's, I believe he still is. Mark's okay. the assistant chair now. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. 
And um, yeah, they may have changed things. That was the last I heard. But uh, I used to talk with all of those guys. Uh, Marty, what's his name? What's his name? Finger style guy. Really, really good. Oh, can't remember man, his last yeah. name. I can't even. Marty, I, I'm sorry, Marty. I can't remember your last name. Yeah. Um, but we, I used to sit down there in between lessons and I used to talk to all of the guys and some of them would come out and, and jam a little bit and show me a little bit. Or uh, Like if I heard Ken doing something interesting because yeah. Mark and Ken had their lesson rooms right next to each other. And Ken would pop out, and I'd be like, "Ken, what was that thing you were showing the guy? It sounded cool." And Ken would uh, Ken would show me some riffs and stuff. Um, I met Joe Negri. I actually got to take a couple of lessons off of Joe Negri at one of the guitar camps one year. For anyone uh, who is thinking, Joe Negri, why do I know that name? You might know him as Handyman Negri. Yes. And he was uh, he was an incredible guitarist. And of course, back then, way back when, when dinosaurs ruled the earth, um, I was the only woman in the guitar department taking guitar, pretty much. Yeah. I, I, I'm being a, a bit hyperbolic. There were a couple of other uh, of other ladies in in well, taking guitar, but not many. It was not the instrument of choice for women back then. I I uh, you know uh, it's funny like. When I when I think about those guitar camps, right? And I'm glad you brought that up because, man, like, like I just loved Duquesne University and spending a week down there. For anyone who's wondering, and I, I think they still do it. At least I know they did a few years back. I don't know if it's still going mm-hmm. on. But you could, you know, pay whatever the fee was, stay on campus at the dorms, you know, food included, and just immerse yourself in music for a week. And mm-hmm. they have courses and tracks like, you know, devoted to what your style is and all this sort of stuff and, and your level. And I I went two years and I came back as such a better player. Mm-hmm. You know, because I'll never forget my first year. Like, I came back heartbroken. Like, I thought I was a pretty good player and they just ripped me apart, technique mm-hmm. and all this sort of stuff. And I remember, like, coming home from that um, really sad and sitting with a metronome and working so slowly to like start keeping my fingers lower the fretboard, you know, mm-hmm. and work on stuff. I mean, you know, and that's the thing is like, like Duquesne really has a great guitar program. I, I think Pittsburgh, the city has a way better guitar heritage than anybody knows. And um, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm excited to see, you know, like, like somebody that I know personally, somebody who also has ties to Duquesne, like put out an album like this. Right. So so this album has been like literally it feels like years in the making, you know. Oh, it, dear Lord. Um, <laughs> the stories I could tell. Um, yes. Like we started I, two years ago. We had the first single. I was excited about that. And I couldn't well, believe that it was that long. I'm like, well, how long how like how long have we been talking about this album? Because I know you. Oh, my God. You've had okay, the for a long time i wrote this i I wrote all 19 songs on the album uh it it is split into two chapters um but i wrote all 19 songs on the album in 2016 so i the year turned over 15 to 16 uh 2015 was a really rough year for me um it was I think I was at at least one funeral every month that year. It was just really, really, it was a really hard year. Um, I was in a, in in a day job that loved what I did, but didn't want me to do it without being micromanaged. Um, so I didn't, you know, I was squashed at the day job 
it was, yeah, I mean, let's, let's be honest. Almost all day jobs are soul crushing. It's, it's true because we are artists, you know, we want to go out and we want to chase the rainbows and chase the unicorns and, and do the artsy thing. And then there's this slice of real life that we have to manage to get through every day. Um, and so this day job and I, we were not getting along and I was like, this is it. I, I'm, I'm putting the pedal to the metal. When the year turns over, I'm writing at least a song a week. And in 2016, I actually ended up writing 60 songs. Wow. So I, I bested my goal. Um, out of those 60 songs, I picked the 19 that I felt were the best. Um, I had been toying with the House of Gregory project for a while, I, you know, I don't even know. I, you might remember the original House of Gregory. It was like, I don't know, 15 songs or 12 songs or something. And they were really long and proggy. And um, it, it was, I think it was the first album where we joked that all of my albums would now start to come with their own external hard drive. Well, yeah. And, and like a, a point to say, hey, stop and get some lunch here. It's been a few hours. You know, mm-hmm. And that's why I'm laughing when you said long and proggy. Um, you know, for our listeners, I was asking Sue last night over text. I'm like, hey, how long is this album? And she said, you know, like 48 minutes. I'm like, that's normally one song for you. Are you feeling okay? So uh, back when I was playing out with, um, with my friend Cole, we used to joke that uh, one of my guitar solos would take up nine of her songs because I would just do a 27-minute <laughs> guitar solo. And her songs were like three minutes a piece. So I'd be just like, look, I'm just going to solo. You guys play the set. And by the time we're both done, we'll be done. We'll be off stage. Um, But the first House of Gregory, I think I wrote or I was writing when we first met in uh, at Noteworthy when we were first when we first started teaching together. Now, was that like 91, 92, somewhere there? Somewhere in there. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I, can, so, man, I can barely I can barely remember when that was. It's not ninety one or ninety two. I want to say it was ninety two. Okay. I want to yeah. say it was ninety two. Yeah, ninety two makes because sense. because that was the first time I lost a hundred pounds. Well, now, see, I thought that was later because that that wasn't that closer. Like, that was 94? like twenty two, twenty three. That was okay. like I was like twenty two, twenty three when I did that. Okay. Um, and then, um, so yeah, so the first album was a completely different vision. Of course, you know, between being 21, 22, 23, and then coming back at 46, (laughs) you know, like literally twice the age of when I started this concept. There was a lot more living that happened and there was a lot more emotion and there was a lot more realization and there was a lot more growth. And of course, between that, thanks to a random, I want to say it was e-music when e-music was the big thing, uh, an e-music search for bands that sounded like Porcupine Tree turned up within Temptation. Don't ask me how that happened because that's just okay. Keep going, keep going. Yeah. Right? Just keep going right past that. We're we're just gonna keep zooming right by that. Thank yeah. God, search engines are better now. Um, but it turned up within Temptation, and that was when I dove into the symphonic metal, 
and started looking up, started going off of, you know, bands like Epica and artists like Tarja, bands like Lacuna Coil. That's when I started getting into all of that, Leaves Eyes and uh, Xandria and all of those bands, just uh, Ex Libris. And that's when I started getting into the the metal because I'm not a really I'm not really hardcore into the in, into the growly voice the 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 the, the screamo stuff. No, and I've I'm tried not really for years. I know, but I do really like the juxtaposition of the aggressive guitars and the aggressive bass and the aggressive drums against these silky smooth soprano vocals and and these clean uh particularly the clean female vocals i just i like that juxtaposition and so house of gregory began at that point to be uh somewhat reimagined and and it turned from a proggy album to hey i've written written these 60 songs in uh, basically a song a week little little more than a song a week and now I'm going to retell the story of my life. It, it, it was always a, a, an autobiographical kind of thing. But now it was like, I'm going to tell the story of who I have become. And, and the allegory would be literally going through a haunted house and fighting the demons. You know, it, it's, it's the, the allegory is literally fighting my own demons. That's cool. That's cool. Cause that's you actually answered one of the questions I had because I was going to ask about all the supernatural ties there. So I, I want to point out that I am so happy you have finally embraced heavy guitar because, um, you know, when I met you, you've always had this this very wonderful sensibility about you when it comes to classical music, right? Like you know, you you're rooted in your Bach and your Beethoven. You had that sense of harmonization. And I feel that like a lot of classical music is more aggressive than people give it credit for. Because I mean, I, I mean, at the time, classical music was the pop music of the day. Right? Well, and, well, here's the thing. Yeah. If you if you if you take a Mozart piece and you you break it apart theoretically. And you look at the left hand, the left piano, you know, the left hand on the piano parts or, or whatever, and in a lot of what he does, or the bass parts, in a lot of what, you know, the, the bass and the cello strings and, and how they're arranged, those are power chords. Mozart was a headbanger. If, yeah. if you look at Bach, Bach does a lot of 2-5-1 stuff. He was a jazz freak. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, there, there's, there's just, there's so much that stems one of my favorite jokes and it's and it's only half a joke <laughs> is jazz is what happens when the blues train hits the classical train head on that's really a good way of looking at it right and and, and it is because you have the classic you know blues much more raw much more emotional classical it's still emotional but it's definitely not raw and when you have jazz, you have kind of that fusion of I'm precise and I'm precisely off key and out of tune for this many notes intentionally. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I think there's a lot that we don't ascribe to classical music that we should. I mean, you take the, the, the you know, you take the big five in, in Russia um, and those guys actually took 
gypsy music and codified it and, and gave us the diminished scale and gave us the, uh, the dominant scale, which is really just a mode of the diminished scale. They're just basically modes of each other. One starts on a half step, one starts on a whole step. But they gave us that. I'm glad you followed that up with, with what was going on um, to kind of bridge that it was composers. Can we said the big five in Russia? I'm like, what are we talking? Vodka, potatoes, missiles. What are the other two? You know, uh, composers, vodka, They're, potatoes, oh, right, missiles. Right. And there were a couple of composers, uh, Paganini and, uh, Korsakov, Rinsky, Korsakov. Wait a second. Um, Paganini was Russian. I, all these years I thought he was German. <laughs> I'm joking. But, uh, Rinsky, Korsakov oh, was see, one of the big can't five. Mess with me like that. Darn you. I know. Right. Uh, Rimsky Korsakov was one of the big five. I can't remember the rest of them off the top of my head. Um, but they were the ones who took the gypsy music and they gave us the diminished scale and the resulting dominant scale. Yeah. And it, you, you can do some great stuff with diminished and dominant. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot like the augmented sharp six or, you know, the augmented six from Mozart's day. It's, it's so versatile in modulation and, and, flavor and color and texture there there's a lot to be had in classical that no one ascribes to classical i'm totally with you and and there there are people who are like well why do we use music theory strictly from you know western european nations well we don't because we use the diminished scale from russia first of all um and russia's not really a, a western nation per se um but we also you know you can everything that we've found everywhere else is relatable to western music theory even if it's relatable as like some of your uh like middle eastern quarter tones and things like that yeah you, I mean, you can still do quarter tone bends and, and billy holiday was actually famous for doing almost like a quarter tone bend with her voice. Oh yeah. <sighs> yeah. Love well, Billy. So like, and then just to kind of wrap up the music theory thing here is the first guy that wrote really wrote about music theory. I can't remember who he was, but it was the treatise on harmony. And essentially he was a failed composer trying to figure out how to be a better composer. So he went mm -hmm. back and studied stuff that was really popular and really great. And, and deconstructed it. Yeah. And those are the rules he came up with. So, I mean, you know, they're not rules, you know, and I mean, like Eddie Van Halen is very famous <clears throat> for being in a music theory course and the teacher's like, no, no, you broke all the rules. He's like, let me play it for the class. And he plays for the class and I was like, wow, this is great. And he's like, okay, see, I'm out, you know, because mm -hmm. it, it's a set of guidelines. But it, it, when you start playing with those guidelines, that's where you get all these experimental things. So... What is like your personal favorite track on the album, or at least the album that so far that's going to be released for chapter one here? Okay, so chapter one, my favorite song is Not Myself. All right, why? Um, this is either going to make me sound really, really cool or really, really crazy, and I'm willing to take that chance. Well, so, I've known you for a long time, so I'm going to go with crazy, but let, let's right, try this right, anyway. Right. Crazy Irish chick. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Um, so there was a guy that I was dating um, who uh, has been lovingly nicknamed Demon Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Demon Jim stopped over my house one day and uh, we were chit-chatting, hanging out. I, I was actually painting a room in the house that, that, that weekend. 
And uh, when he left, uh, I found out that he left uh, a, a few of his um, friends behind. And there, there was like a week where just really weird things happened. Uh, the first really weird thing that I noticed happening was I was downstairs in, in the basement where my, uh, where my basement studio was at the time. And I was working on some songs. And I heard somebody walking up and down across the living room, back and forth across the living room, back and forth, back and forth. And I'm like, somebody's in the house. So um, I grabbed my trusty 33, which was my softball bat that I still had at the time. <laughs> Run upstairs. There's no one on the first floor of the house. Then I hear it again, pacing back and forth, somebody pacing back and forth, back and forth on the, uh, on the next level of the house. So I run upstairs, nobody's upstairs. And I'm like, then I hear it again, but this time it's in the attic. The only way to get into the attic is to get a ladder and pop the hatch. There was no ladder upstairs and the hatch was not popped. And I was like, hmm, okay. And I didn't think much of it beyond that other than somebody was stopping to visit because as a crazy Irish woman, I have been meeting ghosts since I was about three. <laughs> yeah, and we've talked about this a lot over the years. Like, like you, we have. You've had a lot I, of experiences like this. I had my, my, my next favorite joke is the kid on The Sixth Sense was a rank amateur. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's, oh, that's yeah. a true story. So the next funny thing that happened yeah. was that um, the, I, the room that I was painting, I'd taken the crucifix down. Of course, you know, uh, we are, I'm still a devout and practicing Catholic, uh, took the crucifix down and I put it in one of two other rooms that are upstairs. There were only two other options that I could have put this crucifix. That crucifix disappeared. Wow. I went up and down the entire house for a week trying to find that crucifix, and I could not find it. It totally disappeared. Wow. A couple of other friends of mine had come over to help me paint and help me finish painting. And one of them is like, no, there's something suddenly wrong with your house, and I don't know what. Like, okay. I had, of course, you remember Ginger. Oh, yeah. Uh, I was running Ginger to, uh, this was back when she was playing hockey, so I ran her to a hockey game in Ohio, and we were hanging out, and we came back home, and she said the same thing when we pulled in the driveway. She's like, your house is suddenly creepy, and it was never creepy before. And we went to the front door. I'm holding my key in my hand. For some reason, I grabbed the front door and pushed it right open. I never unlocked the door. I turned around and looked at Ginger. She's like, no, I was standing over your shoulder when you locked that. Wow. So both of us bolt through the entire house. Nothing missing, nothing disturbed. No one in the house. Nothing. Yeah. Um, A couple days later, I remember getting in my car. The next thing I remember are red and blue lights flashing behind me because I ran a stop sign. Wow. Yeah, you never do that. I, I don't. I, I don't. And I don't know how I got there. Wow. And, and it's one of those things. There, there's. I've been on the turnpike 
I used to live in Philly. We drove back every weekend to go see the family, you know, when we were growing up. Yeah. I know what it's like to be driving along and just kind of daydream and go, oh, wow, I'm at, I'm, I just passed Carlisle. I didn't kind of realize I was that far. But you also know it's because you were daydreaming. This was not a daydream. This was like I wasn't there. Like like something else was controlling everything I did. Wow. That was my one and only brush with an actual possession. And when I came home that night, I was laying in bed and I felt something staring at me uh, from the doorway of my room. And I rolled over. And I realized that I had run into the dumbest demon in recorded history. (laughs) Because the demon hid the crucifix and left me the bottle of holy water. I absolutely doused the house with holy water that day. Oh, wow. And after that, like, everything returned to normal. The fog lifted. I walked into one of the other rooms upstairs and the crucifix was sitting right where I had put it right in plain view after being missing for a week. That's so weird. So not myself is, uh, is actually kind of the fictionalized version of my one and only brush with an actual possession. The man is cool. That's a really, really cool story. And now you know why I call that boyfriend Demon Jim. Ex-boyfriend. 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 Right, right, right. We got it. We got it. Anyway, so let, let's um, let, let's wrap this up here for this evening. And we'll, um, well actually, I think te- technically the listeners will have heard the song first, I believe, is typically how we do it. So they've already heard Ready on the Wall. That's um, mm-hmm. that's the song that we cho- chose for this time here. But um, where can and when can um, fans and listeners pre-order the album? So pre-order is going live on September 18th, uh, which I believe is already going to happen. It's going to be on Bandcamp. I will get you the links as soon as I finish setting everything up. Um, But I will send you over the links. It's going to be live on Bandcamp. I should be able to pre-order through iTunes. Amazon, all of those good things that, um, <clears throat> pardon me, that uh, CD Baby distributes to, and uh, should be available for streaming on Spotify soon. Okay. Uh, the album actually releases on October 30th, and of course you can uh, jump online at dgregoriomusic.com, and actually there might be some previews up on that site. Uh, as soon as I get everything set up on Bandcamp. Okay, rock on. So, and dear listeners, I will remind you that here on Radioactive Metal, we are a big fan of Bandcamp Fridays. The next Bandcamp Friday is uh, Friday, October 2nd. So if you would, if you've, you know, checking everything out at dgregorio.com, you like the album. DeGregorio Music. Sorry, DeGregorio Music. You know, I'm a bass player. What do you expect? But anyway, um, I would ask that you pre-order this album on Bandcamp Friday because if when you pre-order on Bandcamp Friday, that means that more of the proceeds are going to go to Sue mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. um, it's just a great way to support artists. So, Sue, thanks so much for doing the interview tonight. And, no, um, thank you. This was great. We're looking forward to the listening party coming la- later. Later, yes. 
All right. So once again, that was Sue Decree with um, D. Gregorio, the House of Gregory Project. House of Gregory Chapter 1 comes out officially on October 30th. You can pre-order it now on Bandcamp, and that is dgregorio.bandcamp.com. dgregorio is spelled D-I-G-R-E-G-O-R-I-O. So dgregorio.bandcamp.com. And again, I would ask, dear listeners, please give that a listen. Check it out. Stream some of the tracks on there. And... um, like if you're going to make the purchase, uh, please make the purchase on October 2nd. Set yourself a reminder because on October 2nd, Bandcamp Friday, all the um, proceeds go directly to the artist. And so it's just a great way to help on the artist. And Snowy, check this out. Um, there's going to be some free tracks going up on there. And I don't know if they're there or not. She said they were, but I couldn't find them. But I was doing this on my phone. Um, I will be the bassist on one of the tracks. Oh, there was a um, there's a track that Sue did, and it was it was interesting. It was um, it, when the pandemic started. One of the artists wrote a song called "Pandemic," and what's fun about it is that you know it's called "Pandemic." You think, oh, it's about the pandemic. It's actually about people addicted to their smartphones. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a pandemic. Yeah, right, right. And so it's a clever song. It's really haunting. And um, Sue sent it to me. She's like, hey, put down a bass, bass track for this. I'm going to put down some um, some guitar. We're going to just have some fun with this. And I, we did. She had a friend of hers mix it. I was really thrilled with it. I'm like, oh, this sounds really good. you know. And so that's actually going to be one of the songs that are going to be available. So yours truly will be featured on one of the songs there on the DiGregorio site. It's one of her freebies you know, to kind of get you there and checking things out. But um, definitely give that a shot. Uh, how can people get a hold of us? Well, dear snowman, they can go to radioactivemetal.org for all the backlog of episodes that we have. They can also go to facebook.com slash radmetal. Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at radmetal666. And of course, you can hear us first every Thursday night, purerockradio.net. Now, not only are we those places, but go to iTunes, check us out there. Go to Stitcher, check us out there. Go to ShiningWizardsNetwork.com, a wonderful lifestyle podcast, but a bunch of wrestling podcasts that also hosts our sister brother show, um, A Wrestling Night in Canada. It's a wrestling night in Canada, but I like to say wrestling. <laughs> of course, and, it's wrestling. Um, so we've got that going on. And because of Shiny Wizards Network, you can also find us on the Spotify. Spotify has us there. Shiny Wizards Network um, on Spotify. We're a part of that. And I feel like I've hit it all. Oh, so want to drop us a line? Radmetal666 at Gmail because the snowman here, he remembers the old days. You know, mm-hmm. like he used to walk to school uphill both ways in the snow. Uphill both ways, yeah. You know, because that's all they have in Canada is snow, except for the month of July when they have sun. Um, it. But otherwise, it's always <laughs> snowing. And um, he would do his homework on the back of a shovel with a piece of coal. Um, <laughs> and and when he would read Metal Forces magazine by Lantern Light. Um 
And uh, oh shit, was that it? Am I getting, am I getting the magazine it was right? Metal Forces. Okay, yeah, good, good. Yeah, you're and, on a roll. And he would get to the pen banger section. He's like, "Wow, these guys can afford a pen." Here I am, just writing with coal and a shovel. But you know, he would send pen pal by carrier pigeon and moose mail. And he would like to do that again. So, you know, message us at any one of our social media platforms or drop us a line, radmetal666 at Gmail. We'll get you Snowy's address and you guys can converse via the old moose mail and carrier pigeon Mm -hmm. um, and send letters back and forth like the old days. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm still like I just I don't know. I just I'm I'll be going about my business just like money job or whatever. And like those days will pop will pop in and just like the excitement of getting that snail mail letter from a friend from the other side of the pond you know or there'll be a demo i'll i'll see the package and there'll be a band demo or a live tape and all that man this day and age with email and just everything instant and all that man like the generation today you they just just they just don't know the thrill and the excitement that went into that. So if you want to talk to your cool Uncle Snowy the old-fashioned way, then yeah, I would be more than happy to to get us on out of here. Let's drop a track. Hang on, I, I gotta bust your balls here. So when you say okay. the other side of the pond, do you mean Lake Manitoba? <laughs> that's right. That's or, or, right. or Lake Winnipeg. That's, that's right. Well, we have, I think. I think the province I live in has the most lakes in any other area, you know, in uh, in the world. Oh, dude, I believe that because yeah. I'm looking at all the water here because I, I pull this up so I could make make it, you know, an informed joke uh, <laughs> on your behalf uh, or at your expense. However, anybody wants to look at it. And I'm like, that's a lot of water. There is. There like, is. Yeah. Like I mean, I I would I would enjoy being in an area like that. I I would be probably on the water every day, um, you know, like out paddleboarding or something like that because this is pretty cool. But anyway, sorry, your your province tracks. Let let's get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. let's let's get on out of here with a track from uh, Australia's Mongrels across their new album, Arcana Scrying. And Revelation is available now from Hell's Headbangers. This is a Suffer the Witch to Live. In the meantime and in between time, that's it. This has been a Crank It Up, Scotty, episode of Radioactive Metal. I'm Snowy White. And this is Aaron. Signing off. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
You should love the witch.